You're tuned into episode 11 of the Comics Pals podcast. We're comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. All pals are bilingual. They speak English and they speak profanity. Oh no! <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That, that was definitely the worst one yet. <laughs> Weak. <laughs> We made you laugh. We speak in those uh, asterisks and comic symbols in in uh, the normal shows. <laughs> That's very true. We are censored by the comic uh, authority thing. The comics code authority. This would be a mature yep. comic book. That's, yeah, that's very true. Mostly due to Pete and uh, Kale, I would say. Whoa! Oh, hey! Come on. <laughs> you guys are our mature content. That could be true. That's fucking rude, Sean. <laughs> Fuck you. How dare you fucking say that about me? My apologies. In a public place. You hurt my fucking feelings like that. <laughs> this is fucking bogus. <laughs> well, now that we've showered you guys with a chorus of f bombs, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. If you enjoy what we're doing, be sure to check us out all over the net. Like us on itunes give us that star rating we are a five star rated podcast for which we are very very proud uh you can leave us a comment on there as well let us know what you think about the show which one of us is your favorite and which one of us you hate the most and tell us why it's marco exactly spoiler (laughs) it's always marco uh you can also check us out on twitter and instagram at the comics pals you can like this video and subscribe to our youtube channel uh you can check us out on facebook and you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We're all over the place. So today is a big day because there's so much news to talk about. And I'm actually really excited for some of this stuff. But, yeah, like a surprising amount. Actually. Yeah, right? Yeah. I uh, was putting the show together. I couldn't believe how much had happened so early in the new year. I actually have an additional item, too. It's, oh. like, oh. tangentially related to what we do, so it's worth mentioning. Cool. You can you can drop that on us a little later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we dive into the news, we're going to talk about what we've been reading. Uh, it's, it's actually been a big chunk of time in comics between December and now, and we were doing smaller shows uh, towards the end of December, so there's, there's a lot of books to talk about, at least on my end. Um... Anybody in particular want to start us off? I'll kick us off. I don't have too much to talk about. Uh, I'm currently in the process of uh, writing an article for a... We'll just call it a dot-com. I don't don't know what exactly I'm allowed to say, uh, given where I am in the process. Um, But uh, I'm working on an article about The Walking Dead right now, so I just kind of reread the first 70 issues of it over the last couple days, and then uh, caught up from what I had read the last time I said I was catching up. So I just finished um, issue, I think it's 162 or 163, was the conclusion of um, the Whispers War storyline that they've had going for the last couple months. Uh, And I have to say, it's actually, I would say, the first time that a major arc in The Walking Dead has ended and I was disappointed. Wow. Um, Yeah, the, the ending is really unsatisfying just because it's not really an ending. And, like, I don't have a problem with that as a Walking Dead fan who's, like, kind of used to being strung along a little bit. Um, But more so that, like, they called it an event. It was, like, one of the, like, few times that they've ever done, like, a, oh, it's a six-issue miniseries, part one of six kind of thing. Like, the issue was sold as a definitive end to the conflict, and it doesn't end the conflict. 
it like might end this war, but like that's not the end of their uh, their dealings with the whispers. So it just kind of felt unsatisfying to expect there to be this big conclusion and then have it just be like, oh nope, we're still going. Tune in next month. It's really surprising. It's definitely like not a very Walking Dead move, um, especially not for the comics anyway. So I, I don't know. There's supposed to be two issues coming out in February. They're doing one uh, that's going to be 25 cents in honor of Image's 25-year 25, uh, 25 and then an additional issue near the end of the month. So I'm hoping that it won't be too many more issues before we actually see the conclusion to this because it seems like they're already setting up for what the next storyline is, and I'm definitely ready to move on. So um, that being said, issue five of the arc was, like, fantastic. Really, really awesome. Um, some really crazy, interesting things happened, and... Definitely a little bit of fan service if you're somebody who likes Negan, um, but which I'm sure if you only watch the show is hard to imagine that anybody would like him. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely a lot more likable in the books, in my opinion, and um, he got definitely got a little bit of uh, screen time in a way that he hasn't in a really long time. So it was it was cool, definitely um, worth the read. But the conclusion just left me with a little bit to be desired. He's still alive in the comics. Yeah. What? Spoilers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. I did not know I, that. I, I like that someone being alive is a spoiler for The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess it makes sense when you think about the fact that like he's a primary antagonist. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I won't spoil why he's alive, but uh, he's certainly alive and kicking. Cool. Uh, in fact, it's, it seems like moving forward, he might even be like prevalent in the book again at some capacity, which is even more fascinating wow all right uh, so yeah, that's it for me lots of walking <clears throat> dead this week cool Both and old and new good luck with that article thank you i'll definitely let you guys know uh, as soon as it goes live you oh <laughs> sorry about that guys kale's in an airport waiting for a flight that's that's my dedication <laughs> to this show <laughs> oh wait hey there it's gone oh. so um yeah, I, did, does anyone remember? Like, I was just wrapping up a thought. It might be an awkward cut. Hey, I'll take care of it. Hey, sh- hey, Pete, okay. shut up for a second. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's how you take care of that awkward cut. That was an awkward cut because of Kale's in an airport and there was fucked up audio. Phil, don't make <laughs> me look like a dick on my own show. No, that makes me look like a dick. Cause I interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Uh, for the first time, I think since we started the show, maybe, I actually read a weekly book, or a monthly book, rather, like something that comes out on a normal schedule, and I read uh, the new Superman book by Peter Tomasi, because I had heard a lot of positive buzz online. And uh, Wait, feel like Superman? Mm, maybe. Oh, that's, that's weird. That's a weird rumor. I, I haven't heard that. Rumor has it. Oh boy, that audio is back. But I'm going to ignore it. Yeah, just ignore it. So, yeah, no, it's cool because it kind of lifts from ideas from Multiversity, uh, the Morrison book, which seems to follow in the vein of thought that uh, Morrison and Tomasi worked together when he did Batman, which was really cool. And so this series is a lot of different Earth's version of Superman, and um, it was cool. I'm looking forward to see where it goes. In general, I'm really surprised by Peter Tomasi's Superman run. I wasn't looking forward to it. I didn't like what he did with Superman Wonder Woman. Uh, I didn't like what he did before Rebirth on the book. 
but it's been hitting up like some home runs. So that's why cool. we're this week. Awesome, man. Yeah, I've been really uh, curious about that Superman book because it's uh, it's the uh, the the pre fifty two Superman with his son John, right? Who's now Jonathan Superboy. Kent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested in that dynamic and how that's gonna fit into this uh, universe. I saw I saw a teaser for uh, Superboy Prime coming back soon uh, from from um, um, Infinite Crisis, and along with that, the and along with that, I saw that the the pre New Fifty Two Superman is gonna be fighting alongside the New Fifty Two Superman who died in Rebirth. Oh boy. So we're getting some real complicated multiverse shit coming up. Here we That's go. my favorite thing in comics. I love it. I'm not going to lie. I'm a total <laughs> sucker totally for it. We totally need two Supermen. Yeah. Well, now we have, Just what, like we need 15? Fucking ridiculous, man. I love I'm it. Sorry. I love it. I eat it up. I'm sorry. Like, there's nothing that draws out, like, the cynical, like, comics fan in me more than that kind of stuff. I love yeah, good multiverse stuff. I like it in DC. For it yeah. feels like it fits in DC. I mean, I I like a good multiverse storyline. It's just like I don't need them to cross over, you know? Like I like I like that there are separate universes with separate continuities, but like I don't know, man. I just feel like that's such a like desperate move when it's just like, "All right, let's make Superman meet Superman because we run out of stuff to do with him." It's just like, I don't know. Crisis on Infinite Earths, dude. It's a classic. Hey, that's a little different because it was like an entire event about that and, versus like and it was the first one yeah right had, it was novel then now had, it's been done like six hmm, times over yeah we've had 30 of those since then and uh, like marvel <laughs> just did that last year you know like, that's true they did do a couple dc had things. an event like that the same year like we had two events that were all about all the universes are colliding and we're all they're all gonna meet each other and it's like come on like it's just, it reminds me a lot of this, I think we talked about this last week, just how there's been the trend of, like, having superheroes fight one another, or superhero teams go head-to-head, and it's just, like, it's fucking played out at this point, you know? It's like, can we just do something new? Like, give me, like, five or six years before you try this crap again. We're gonna talk a little bit more about events later on, <clears throat> but yes, we are. speaking of uh, teams fighting each other, I caught up on justice league versus suicide squad this week i thought that was going to be a joke about uh, sean and i going at it all gene <laughs> gray go that's no. feud of 2017 <laughs> damn 2017 too yeah oh we're doing this we're doing this again he's calling it yeah, don't, <laughs> you guys never had your blow off feud it's never never gonna end we still have to cut promos yep um, oh, we will we we certainly will but Justice League vs. Suicide Squad, uh, it's up to issue three of six. So far, I am thoroughly unimpressed. I didn't even uh, know that came out. Yeah. It's such a... Yeah, there are already three of them? I thought the first one just came out. Right? It's been, it's been like, released every two weeks, which is DC's... Yeah, that's DC's release schedule these days. Ugh. Um, every issue so far has had a different artist, which is extremely off-putting. Uh, I hate that, man. Yeah, yeah like... I, Especially when it's done, like, in a two-week spurt like that, because it's, like, it's so obvious that it's just to put out the book quicker, not because there's, like, any creative reason to do that. Yeah, yeah. Right, and DC sort of thinks that they've been clever by releasing books twice monthly, but 
because that's how they keep the prices low. So each book is three dollars, whereas Marvel's books are four dollars. And, and like you notice the quality dip. Yeah, it's 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 different. I mean, the only books that consistently look really great are like Wonder Woman and Batman. Every other book has just a rotating cast of artists who don't even have the same style, and it makes no sense. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about Wonder Woman because she, there are two storylines going on in that uh, in that uh, title, right? Like, yeah. So they did something very clever because there are two artists on the book. Greg Ruck is the solo writer. He writes two different storylines. One takes place in the past. The other takes place in the present. And each artist covers each storyline individually. See, like, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. You know, like, that's, I think, a really, like, elegant way to have two storylines going that'll have some kind of cohesion but still be different, you know? Yeah. If you really wanted to and you only cared about one of those creative teams, you could just follow one storyline, you know, and you wouldn't lose out on anything, really. Right. Yeah. And then if you Um, if you do read both of them, I'm sure that that expands your experience in some way. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good book. One of my favorites. But uh, Justice League vs. Suicide Squad, I got to say, it it feels like a cash in in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. Um, From the announcement, it felt that way. Yeah. And there's very little substance to it. It's sort of like the movie in a lot of ways. We're just smashing the Justice League and Suicide Squad together. There is a reason, but it's very, it's very thin, uh, and <laughs> it's just very. It's a silly sort of nothing book. Joshua Williams is writing it. He's a solid writer, but I don't really think he's got the chops to be handling an event right now. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, it feels very meta, too. There's actually a moment where Harley Quinn says to uh, Wonder Woman, you're only you're just mad at me because I've taken your place in the Trinity. Ooh. Yeah. That's, like, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's so lazy. It's, uh, I don't know. It's like, subtext! <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to prove that DC's trying to do the same thing that Marvel is with Deadpool. You know, make 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 Harley this yeah. you know this meta fourth wall breaking character, and you know they'll sell more somehow. People like that shit. Yeah, but it's just like I don't know, man. It it really just goes to further show me that like DC just doesn't seem to have like their own ideas or doesn't seem to have new ideas. It's like last week we were just praising like how many of these like really interesting like smaller books or like risky kind of ideas that they've taken with like the Hanna-Barbera properties and like the stuff that they're doing over at uh, Young Animals and stuff. But then like you look at like their mainline books and so much of it is just like boring and uninspired and derivative, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm not interested in reading that. I mean, it's like it's just <clears throat> enough is enough. In those books, in defense, you haven't read any of them. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I mean, like, if you lose me at the elevator pitch, like that is a problem. Like, I, I, I definitely like you can't take my opinion on on the quality of these books seriously. But like, the overall direction that they're taking is the reason I don't read them. I I understand why you feel that way. I would say that. Justice League versus Suicide Squad is not actually indicative of DC's current, like, quality. Because I I personally feel that quite a few of the books that they're publishing are good. It's just that this event, it it, it was probably decided on before Rebirth. 
and they just wanted to get it out because there's a Suicide Squad film. And as comic book fans for many years, we know how it goes, right? They're gonna, yeah, totally. you know, yeah. they're, they're gonna do something like this. It's just a shame that as good as Rebirth has been, the first event so far, anyway, I'm not gonna say it's all gonna be bad, but this first event is just not doing it for me. You, at want, least. you know what's curious yeah. is events are meant to draw in new readers, oftentimes because it's you know a large uh, event. To bring in, <laughs> to with a lot of characters thrown together, and the idea is to attract new readers. Uh, but oftentimes we have to say, "Well, no, this event isn't indicative of the quality of the books." Otherwise, and that's right. a shame. I, I think like that's why I get so upset with events is because like if that's their purpose is to be a thing that can, I mean, obviously a to drive sales. Like let's you know let's let's be honest here. But to bring in new readers who aren't familiar with what's going on and, like, kind of give them an entry point, like, they generally fail at that. I mean, like, even a good event, like, it – we talked about – or we'll talk about it later, actually. But um, it disrupts status quo of a book, and then once that event's over, you don't have a smooth transition back into the any of the books you could be reading. So I, I don't know, man. I, whatever. We'll save that for the – we'll save that for later. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Uh, and then I also read the finale of Civil War Two, which, <laughs> as as a again a massive Marvel fan, massive Civil War guy over the course of ten years, uh, I was thoroughly disappointed. This is probably the first time that I've read a Marvel event and got to the end and and thought that was bad, that was that was bad. Uh, it it was. Um, it didn't really? make any the first sense. time? This is the first time. Wow, I, okay. I've, I've been disappointed before, and I've thought, ah, that wasn't so great. But there's always something at the end that kind of hooks me. Like, even Secret True. Invasion I didn't like, but then what they did with Norman, where he ended up killing the Skrull Queen, I thought that was really cool, very different. Yeah, that was that was pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I have been disappointed before, but this is the first time I was so excited, and I couldn't believe how bad it was in the end. The the, the story ends with a brawl between Captain America or sorry Captain Marvel and Iron Man. With oh big shock, the thing yeah. that they put on like every cover, right? <laughs> with Spider Man, uh, sorry Miles Morales, Spider Man, kind of like in the middle of this whole thing. <sighs> really? Yeah. Like, exactly. could you make that more like, like, oh, it's Civil War Two? It's yeah. like, yeah, okay. And then they, they randomly, randomly, the character Ulysses, who's the guy who can see the future, he ends up in Old Man Logan time somehow, and talks to Old Man Logan. But Old Man Logan is actually currently in the regular few, the regular Marvel universe. Yeah, what the fuck? So that actually doesn't make any sense. And then they just end up going through a sequence of future possibilities which are all hints at things that are coming and then Ulysses quote unquote ascends into God knows what and then I won't say the fate of Iron Man if you want to know that go you know go read it but uh it's just very weird very should very they weird. though I mean like you're you're definitely not selling them on it I don't think yeah, I kind of <laughs> just want to know all right having to read it so yeah okay. like Cross- spoilers if, if Cross- you don't want to know skip ahead 30 seconds yeah uh Iron Man Literally just gets beat to shit by Captain Marvel and ends up in some type of weird coma state where they reveal that he's been experimenting on himself, but we don't know how or why or what he's done. 
And the only reason he's alive after what Captain Marvel did to him is because of these experiments. And he's just locked away in a coma. Oh. That's it. That's cool. Everyone's going to like that. That's fun for everyone. Yeah. Great. Now we can have Riri. Yes, exactly. And it's so... God. It's, Fuck that. It's Fuck so everything trans- about that. Yeah. It, it's so transparent, right? Like, we just got Riri Williams. That I'm, I'm very pleased with that. But... Yeah, it, yeah. Like, whatever. No problem with that. In order for her to have her place in the Marvel Universe, we have to lose Tony Stark. You know? They did the same thing with uh, with Wolverine. In order for X-23 yeah. to thrive, we had to lose Logan. In order for... Uh, Except not really, because we have old man Logan. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is weird. So, I don't know. Uh, just... It's like, it, it reminds me of... Um, I think it was in the early 2000s. Like, remember when, like, Nightcrawler had been dead for forever? And then they brought the Nightcrawler from the Apocalypse yes. uh, timeline, like, into the main timeline. And it was just like, Nightcrawler's still dead! But not really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was like four years ago, right? Yeah, yeah that, was, that yeah. was pretty recent. But but that was like when they started doing this. And I, I didn't think that was so bad. Because, again, it was like the first time it had been done. And then they were like, yo, who else can we bring back? <laughs> Gwen Stacy? Wolverine? Huh? Like, Uncle Ben? Please. Maybe. That, I swear that, to God. That might be the line I draw. I think that, you know Dude, what? That is going to be the line I draw. That's the line in the sand for me. Yeah. If Uncle Ben comes back in any capacity, like I'm, I'm fucking, I'm done. I, <laughs> when I, I, for, for some reason now I picture Uncle Ben talking like Pete Spider-Man Two, uh, New Yorker guy. Hey, Peter, what the fuck? You're supposed to help me paint the kitchen. With great power, you know, it comes with great responsibility. <laughs> hey. If if you don't get the reference to that, go back and watch Spider Man, the original film, the the moment where Green Goblin is about to murder Spider Man, and random New Yorkers just start tossing garbage. Hey, yeah, you're gonna Goblin. mess with a guy trying to save a bunch of kids. <laughs> it's the best moment in the whole movie. What? And like this, like the the thinly thinly veiled like nine eleven catharsis throughout that entire movie is so perfectly epitomized in that one scene. Very true. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. God bless America. He <laughs> might as well I have fucking, said that, dude. I legitimately love that movie and that scene, and I'm not making fun of it because it's bad, but because that those guys, those two extras, are like some of the best casting in anything. <laughs> <laughs> the Spider-Man movies in general, man, like pretty much everyone but Tobey Maguire is absolutely perfect, and I don't hate I don't hate Tobey Maguire. Let me can I drop a little bit of uh, Tobey Maguire news on you? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I just found out that apparently no one wants to work with Tobey Maguire right now because he uh, demands to be called Tugboat. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> that to me sounds like a great reason to work with Tobey Maguire. I would call him Tugboat. Like shrieks and like yells at like paparazzi. I told you I wanted to be called Tugboat. That cannot wow. be real. It's on. I mean, Goog- you could probably Google Toby Tobey Maguire and not even type in Toby and you'll get it. That's Somebody crazy. do it. Somebody do it I'm, right I'm now. I'm on the job. Can we make right, an amendment, folks, and start calling Kale Tugboat? Yes. 
<laughs> Kale's like, no. No, actually, wow. can we call can we call it Phil tugboat? Yes. He seems more like a tugboat to me. This is uh, all right. Is that, so I've googled it? him, and I see nothing about t- tugboat. <laughs> Kale, you trash. It's there, I promise. All right, Kale, you find that. Uh, is that it for what we're reading? Can we move on? No, to Sean. Our oh now? wait, yeah. Kale, Kale still has to go. Uh, yeah, so, oh, uh, right. so, so, uh, I read, uh, in, in lieu of, uh, uh, uh or in, in remembrance of Carrie Fisher, uh, I read, uh, um, I was, sorry, I was looking up Tobey Maguire, I can't, uh, I can't do both. <laughs> I can't multitask. Uh, I read, uh, Princess Leia, uh, by Mark Wade and, uh, I think the Dodsons, um, and, uh, that was really, really good, um. She goes out to search for the survivors of, you know, Alderaan. You know, basically the only people who are still around. And it, it ends up being a really strong, like, narrative that I wish could continue. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things that they're just not able to, to keep up. Uh, I'm going to ignore you for comedic purposes right now. I looked up Tugboat McGuire, and this warrants interrupting you, you son of a bitch. It's a fucking clickhole article. It's a- yeah, it's a fake clickhole article. <laughs> and I went on Reddit, and they were like, what is Tugboat McGuire? And they're like, oh, it originated on clickhole. And I'm like, fucking Kale spreading clickhole rumors as truth. <laughs> fake news, Kale. Look, I never I never claimed to be an honest journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining our def- reputation, it, man. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be so bad if we didn't literally start the show by calling ourselves comic book journalists. <laughs> 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 well, to, to Kale's point, I don't say we're honest comic book journalists. So. What are we, Fox News? I don't want to spread lies about Tobey Maguire. And also, I've never claimed the title comics journalist, so. That's fair. That, all right, fair enough. Um, well, carry I'm still on, calling you Tugboat, uh, Kale. And you know what? After that, I deserve it. I get you know, that. You know what I, I do want to do real quick, though? Hey. Just because like, we, were, we were talking smack before. Um, <laughs> it just reminded me. Like, so uh, in my process of reading um, some of the stuff I was reading for that article about The Walking Dead, I found this quote from Robert Kirkman about Joe Caseta and the governor, and he said that he, <laughs> like, totally stone-faced in his, like, deadpan humor, said that the governor is 100% based off Joe Caseta. What? And it makes makes total sense why he's my least favorite character in The Walking Dead. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> That's shocking. And when you... It's, I'm sure that's not true, but when you think about how how horrible the governor is, it really it goes to show what what both Robert Kirkman and I think about Joe Caseta. I'm gonna rewatch that season of The Walking Dead and just every time the governor's on screen picture Joe Casada and it's, that's gonna change it, my viewing experience. It will really, really greatly improve it. It will uh <laughs> that really will uh help your, your viewing of uh and reading of one more day too. Yeah, uh, wait. That would imply that I would read that again. <laughs> you made. I'm not doing that. Uh, Kale, did you read anything else besides Princess Leia? Uh, Jupiter Circle. It was good. Mark Millar cool. and uh, uh, Wilfredo Torres and someone else. Anyway, it's Cir- good. Cir- Cir- Circle's the, the current one, right? Uh, no, names. Circle's the first one. Uh, Legacy okay. is the second, and I don't know right. what the recent stuff is. Yeah, I've only read Circle. Um. Yeah, and I like I bought uh, Legacy because I was like, oh, I can't wait to read this, and I just like never ever read it. It's <laughs> one one of the things sitting on my backlog. Um, 
All right, cool. So, so now are we done with what we read? Well, well, what did what did Marco read? I read oh, Swamp Thing. Oh, he's not here. No, wait. I'm here, Sean. I read Swamp Thing. Shots fired. <laughs> he read. He read Swamp Thing. He read. That's Swamp what he read. Thing. We love you, Marco. We love you. But yeah, we're just we're but just busting chops. Be on the show. Yes. But we love um, you. Yeah. Seriously, how can how can the people love and or hate you? You're the most controversial uh, figure on the show. Makes sense. Come on. So let's get into some reader news. Pete, you want to carry us away with that? Or reader mail, yes. rather? Right, right. Uh, so we've got one email this week, um, and it's from friend of the show, Matt Murphy, who uh, is uh, the co-host of the Longbox podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked out their show, definitely go do it, as long as you're into NSFW comic book humor. Uh, and then check out the episode where, the, where, um, excuse me, where both Matt and Tyler came and hung out with us. Um, so... Matt writes in and says, Hello, friends. I was listening to yesterday's episode, and a question came to mind. You guys mentioned a dream movie being an old-school Fantastic Four movie, something I'm also interested in seeing. While a lot of people complained about the previous film, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, I think there was something in that film that we don't often see in comics. Horror. The movie was terrible, but the original concept of the film was rooted in horror, reminiscent of the themes present in Morrison and Lee's classic 1-2-3-4 storyline. Aside from the film's terrible ending, why do you think a Fantastic Four horror film wasn't able to succeed on the silver screen? Do you think the genre could reinvent the world's greatest comic book magazine again when the team returns from Pearl Mutter's Blacklist? Excuse me. Sincerely, Matthew Murphy. Thank you for writing in, Matt. I'll 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 go first if that's okay. Um, yes, but before we respond, I just want to say that's a random question of the week. <laughs> so let's 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 dive into it. Cool. Uh, I think it didn't succeed because that's not the spirit of the Fantastic Four. I think that that's a big reason. Uh, I get how... In fact, I thought it was really cool that you could depict Thing as this kind of monstrous figure who people would be really afraid of. And which, yeah, just, which was the original idea. Yeah, I, I think that that's really cool and an interesting take on those characters for the film. But... In an age where we're, we're seeing so many films based on these superheroes that are very drab and dark and all that, I thought it was kind of derivative on screen. Whereas it's, I agree. A, it's a new take for these characters. It's not new for film. Uh, also, it just wasn't necessarily a well-done movie. I think that there's a way you could have maybe done it to where it could have worked. But A, I don't think that that's what people want to see from the Fantastic Four. And B, I just flat out don't think that it was a well-produced film. So, that's Yeah, that's going to kind of branch off into my answer too. Like, uh, I, I would actually like to see a Fantastic Four horror movie. I think, I think that potentially could work really well if done right. But the thing with it is you'd have to commit. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with uh fox and i mean marvel to some extent with like the ant-man edgar wright uh fiasco they just they won't commit and uh i think i think that is a big problem with what hurt that film yeah man uh to jump off that i think that the the film optically because uh, i didn't see it you know, I, I heard enough about it from people I trusted that I wasn't going to waste my time or money. And I didn't like the first two Fantastic Four movies either. Um, but it's it's very apparent from the production of this movie and all the stories around it that it was a, a film that was, like, made at the last minute so that they could retain rights. Uh, I know it changed directors a couple times near the end. And, um, you know, there was very famously the kind of meltdown from the director, whose name is escaping me Josh, right now. Josh Trank. 
Thank you. Um, oh, it's literally in the. We I just read that. Josh Trank, uh, who's famous for for Chronicles, so obviously a talented filmmaker. Um, you know, it, it seems as though it was a movie that was rushed to the gate, and then was also kind of made by committee. Uh, to jump off Kale's point, I think very similar to the Suicide Squad. It kind of seems like they were like, we're gonna get this gritty, you know, a young director, and let him. Um, let him give his take on this and have like a darker, more sci-fi or horror, whatever you want to say, rooted version of these characters. But then about halfway through, they got cold feet and tried to inject some more comic bookiness into it. And that gave you a, uh, a camel, you know, which it, it was, it, it's not, it's not either of the things it's trying to be. It's some awkward amalgamation of the two. Had a huge meltdown about it yeah. on Twitter and totally murdered his career. Yeah, he was he was supposed to direct uh, one of the Star Wars spinoff movies, and that yep. didn't happen. Yes, he was. Was yeah, it, man. Wasn't I it supposed to be uh, Rogue One? No, I think it was supposed to be Boba Fett. Yeah, which I don't even think is happening anymore. Um, um this I think this topic kind of is rooted in what we talked about two or three episodes ago, which is talking about um, loose artistic liberty with source material and like how okay that is the the x-men versus avengers episode we did basically right but um i'm curious to see what josh frank's original vision would have been um it's very clear he was going for a john carpenter kind of thing with the body horror and right that could have been really interesting um as mr murphy says in the email um he brings up morrison and jay lee's one two three four fantastic four book which is really good i think it's like 15 20 years ago now um i don't see any reason why that couldn't have been good um but perhaps to sean's point uh horror in a comic book film might be more fitting for like a man thing movie or something i think i think to your point though i think like having elements of body horror in a fantastic four movie is like totally appropriate um i think at least for like an origin story of, like, the, the post, you know, space exploration and then, like, the transformation, you know? I think, like, that to me, when I saw trailers for um, for Trank's Fantastic Four coming out, that was the thing that spoke to me, you know, was um, the idea of, like, well, yeah, it, it would be horrific to turn into the thing. It would be, would be really scary to be in Johnny's shoes and then, you know, have your entire body engulfed in flames, you know, like... Those are moments that I think could really work if they were portrayed in a way that was supposed to be horror or supposed to um, have elements of, of good classic body horror movies. Um, but I think, it, it, to Sean's point, it was a matter of them not committing to that idea. It's like, yeah, we get that, but then it also tries to be a normal superhero movie. And those things aren't the same, you know? And it can't be a dark sci-fi movie and also be a superhero movie. I, um, I also didn't see the movie like you, Pete, but... Uh... I know people who did, and they walked away saying it's not as bad as the general zeitgeist review indicates it to be. And also, um, the things that worked, worked pretty well. Like, a lot of the Josh Trank stuff wasn't as bad as people thought it would be. And that's why I'm curious to see what it could have been. I'm positive that his original vision would have been better than what we got. I I think you're probably right about that. But I like I, I did see it, and <clears throat> it's not good. Like even the stuff that works, I wouldn't say it works to the degree that 
oh man, he got robbed of his vision. He he didn't have the chance to you know put out what he really wanted to. It it, it works, but it's like yeah, this is kind of half baked, right? Like you know what though, I think like that that I don't think that invalidates that he didn't get to execute his vision though, and it's like it's his fault for taking the job, but like. He didn't have a lot of time. Like that movie had a very, very, very tight production schedule. You know. Oh, so you're saying if he had the full breadth of time to work on the film? Yeah, like if he had actually been able to make a movie, you know, like make the movie <laughs> he wanted to make, not make a Fantastic Four movie that was made solely so that Fox could hold on to the rights. You know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that. I just feel like the the movie itself, and and who knows why this is, right? It could it could very well just be that. He didn't have the time, but it, it feels very much like he had a lot of interesting ideas that are not fully produced, and there wasn't a meaty story there. Because there's actually quite a bit of time in the movie where they're just doing nothing, and then they skip. They, they do a long time jump that things happen in there, and it's like we have no idea what even happened there, and then they're just, okay, let's fight Doctor Doom now. It, that, that's really what happens. Man, fuck you, Fox. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's odd. It's it's a weird movie. But uh, do I think, the other part of the question is, do you guys think the genre could reinvent the world's greatest comic book magazine again when the team returns? So the question there is, do we think that a horror Fantastic Four movie would bring the Fantastic Four back into prominence? If you're talking about in the comics, my answer is uh, no, because yeah. we... Those characters have been around for so long that it's it's not weird anymore that the thing is the thing. It's just what it is. Uh, and he, that would require his personality to change in ways that wouldn't make any sense. If you're talking about in the films, could it be done right? Yes. Do we need it? No. I think what we need now to add some variance is a true blue family film based on these characters. I think that the Fantastic Four give us a great opportunity to make that kind of movie, and I don't think it's worth shoving that aside just to make a horror version of these characters. I mean, personally, I, I, just to take it back to the point I made earlier, is like I just think like the body horror in like solely their origin is like a appropriate way to like show their transformation. Otherwise, I would say I agree with you. I think like I would rather see a like Silver Age, almost like Incredibles style Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, and you know, and that's where I was gonna lead this with. People talk about the Fantastic Four being boring, but like in two different aspects in comics, we've had two great runs in the last thirty years. The John Byrne and Jonathan Hickman run kind of indicated yep. that these characters can work in comics and, and Hickman's run was phenomenal and was really popular too. Yeah, it was great. And then and most popular that those characters have been like ever. Well, I mean thirty years ago when John Byrne wrote it it was comparably great and comparably popular. It's just when you have the right talent, you know, that they can run and and you talk about the cultural zeitgeist. The Incredibles is the Fantastic Four, and look how well that worked, and yep. look how popular that was. There's no reason this franchise can't work, and I think it speaks to the main point: is that you need quality to produce something good. Yep, so totally agree. If we are to make the Fantastic Four relevant in the culture, we just got to make a good movie, and we haven't had a good Fantastic Four movie. Dude, it's honestly, like, a shame. Like, obviously, I'd like to see the Fantastic Four in the MCU, but uh, I honestly think, like, a Pixar, like, uh, Big Hero 6-style Fantastic Four movie would be, honestly, maybe the best use of that property. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Because, like, then they could even, like, have a, adopt, like, a, a, not, like, a very classic 
like look to the animation like still do 3d models but have it have like a almost like um like fallout kind of look you know like that like kind of like golden era like 1950s future kind of look to it um like that could be really cool well yeah and if if their problem is that the you know the fantastic four doesn't feel you know if they can't nail down the the dark and grittiness of the you know the characters then a, a disney pixar movie would open that field you know to to help to let them make a, a good golden age movie for for them yeah i think so too um because like then it's okay for it to be kind of like silly and hokey, yeah you yeah know? it's like that that plays in a cartoon and I, again i don't think that would be a problem on the big screen i just think it like it would have to either be legitimately like a throwback movie that takes place in the past uh like we saw with like captain america or it would have to just modernize the group a little bit, which I also don't think is a problem. I don't. I don't think that uh, the Fantastic Four. I, I totally agree with Phil. I think like the Fantastic Four optically has the same kind of trappings that I think a lot of people project onto like Superman and Wonder Woman, and that they did project on the Cap until he had a movie that was good. You know, is that yeah. they're hokey and they're old fashioned? And, but I don't think that has to be the case at all. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think like in. I, I agree with all of you, but I, I, just as like a writer and and a creative person and a fan of the Fantastic Four, I think I like I would be interested to see like a legitimate horror version. Uh, I mean, because you have characters like Fing Fang Foom, uh, the Mole People, and I mean even to a certain extent Doctor Doom. Like I think it could be done. Uh, I think it could be done, but some of the cosmic stuff too. Yeah, yeah, like, Annihilus, like, like yeah, planet and stuff like that. Like, I, I just think you know their problem is they won't commit, in you know, to the movies and uh, you know it just it's not gonna it's not gonna work for them if they don't let it. I mean, um, if you have a sorry, interrupted. No, go ahead. Well, I think if you have the right kind of author who can portray a good horror theme and artist too, because. Uh, you know, horror is also well, very visceral, but yeah. And so I was gonna say for for comics, um, recently they they brought back um, uh, the Howling Commandos with um, uh, 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 Dum Dum Dugan leading, you know, right. like Man Thing and some werewolf guy. And is he is he still a robot? Is that what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Okay. Or it was in this series, and it's supposed to be this sort of horror title. But they filled it with all this, like, shield action, and it just didn't work. It didn't play. Right. I, I, I mean, I think you could do, you know, I think that would be a good new turn for the Fantastic Four in the comics. But, again, you'd have to find a horror writer who could do it right. Uh, maybe, like, Steve Niles or, you know, uh, someone, someone of that era, I guess. You know, a 30 Days of Night. I think that's Steve Niles. You know who I think could get that done, and this is a this is a weird curveball. Uh, I think Kale Scott Ward. Snyder could get nice. that done. Well, Kale Ward maybe too. But <laughs> I think I think Scott Snyder could do a really good job. Yeah, with that. no, I agree. Yeah, it depends. Good... In in Kale Ward's Fantastic Four, do they fight a kaiju? Because if so, I'm in. That's what that's what Fin Fang Foom is, dog. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, you're right. Cool. <laughs> he's just a he's just a big ass dragon. <laughs> he is so, a literal big. Ass dragon. A big ass dragon. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for the question. We really appreciate it. And if you guys want to send questions to us, we will absolutely bring them up on the air. You can always send us your feedback or questions or comments to thecomicspals at gmail.com. 
And if you've got any thoughts about this discussion and you want to kind of add to it, you can let us know. Let us know in the comments on YouTube or iTunes or wherever. Also, social media. Yes. Yes. And uh, and I'm sorry. I, I do have to do this because otherwise I'm always nervous that it won't work out. Because I know Phil makes this mistake. So that's The Comics Pals with an S. That's T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C-S-P-A-L-S at gmail.com. Just like our, just like our logo. Yeah, just like the logo. And it's uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like the the email address is on the screen. So I emailed us good. fan mail, trashing Marco, but I sent it to the wrong email address. Wow, Phil. <laughs> he did. Can't even can't even get your own fan mail, right? And he he made me he made me realize that we should really go snag the comic pals as an email address and have it open in case like we get important emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do that. It's a yeah. good idea. Great. Okay. We're gonna do it before we publish this show, or some other asshole's gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna jump into the news. Yeah, uh, we got a ton to get through. We're yes. already getting long in the teeth on this one. So. Yes. Uh, so we're gonna start off with some bad news, or potentially bad news for DC. They're starting off 2017 the way they ended 2016 with some not so good stuff. Ben Affleck says he's not positive he'll direct the Batman. <laughs> shit i didn't see that that's crazy i personally think that ben affleck is a very solid director the town was a really really good movie uh yeah yeah uh, so he says he's a talented guy he's a talented guy. yeah he is a very talented guy he says to the guardian that the idea is for him to direct it uh he said th- this is the quote that's the idea but it's not a set thing and there's no script he what? goes on to add if it doesn't come together in a way I think is really great, I'm not going to do it. I mean, that's good. I, I understand why he's doing that. I mean, I think at this point, like, he's probably trying to protect himself more than anything because I think his association with these movies is really going to hurt him. See, the weird thing, though, is that Joe Manganiello, who's playing Deathstroke in the, in the Batman movie, said that the film's going to start shooting in spring. So, if there's no script, how are you going to make a movie in the spring? That's a Because D- cause DC loves to slap shit together. Like, they pushed this movie up in the timeline because things are not going well. And, like, apparently they're not ready to go on it. Surprise, surprise. This is like a Square Enix-ass move. And if you're not a gamer, <laughs> I'm sorry if you don't understand that reference. But, like, Jesus Christ. It's like I, I, it's like just for context, like just before, like when Final Fantasy fifteen was wrapping pre pro, like they announced, uh, they had Kingdom Hearts three and then Final Fantasy sevens remake, and the guy who was the director on Kingdom Hearts fifteen is the director on seven and didn't even know that until they announced it. Wow. And it's like that's Ugh. what this sounds like, where it's just like Ben Affleck's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do it. It's like, wait, what? There's an option that you're not. We've been talking about this movie for like a year and a half. Like it was like a done deal. Yeah. The fuck? Like Yeah, it's 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 really weird and it feels almost like it feels like they just don't know exactly what they're doing and the cohesion that they lack is where Marvel succeeds in my opinion. Totally. Oh, and the planning. Joe Casada's yeah. had uh, has a fucking document in his desk like had like the last 20 years planned. <laughs> <laughs> and like they're just about to finish his uh, you know, like the 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 tail end of this plan he's been developing for years and it's like it's so obvious that dc is just like doing everything by the fucking seat of their pants you know like it's ridiculous yeah kale did you have something to add i have no idea 
this <laughs> this this sucks. I was this is one of the things I was really looking forward to, and uh, surprise, surprise, the uh, DC Cinematic Universe is going to drop the ball. Yeah, you, you have to think that this is something that had a lot of potential. Like a Ben Affleck directed Batman movie was something I was looking forward to uh, during the production of Batman vs Superman because. Well, that was a movie I had no interest in seeing. I uh, knew the talent that um, could be behind a solo Batman feature, and totally. now that's jeopardized, and it's a real shame. Yeah, man, it's really a shame, especially because I, I really think, like, you know, the big problem with these movies is the direction more than anything else, and like we just said, Affleck's a talented director, and, you know, Batman's an easy character to get right, I think, you know, like, I don't know. I, I'm really disappointed. I, I walked away from Batman v Superman with the idea that this solo Batman movie helmed by Affleck was probably the only thing that was that I was actually excited for. Yeah. And yeah. Now we don't even know if we're gonna get it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I think I think anyone who is even remotely a fan of Batman would love to see this film and to not. I mean. Let's let's be real. We're going to get the movie, right? It's just the question is will we get it with Ben Affleck at the helm? And I but I think that his name attached to directing a film like this and starring it that that a lot of confidence on the on the part of the audience would would go into that film. And then if we don't get that, it's like okay, so we're not going to get him directing it. We're going to get some other guy directing it. Do we trust this person? It's just a little it's it's a little weird and it's not necessarily caused for, you know, the alarms to go off, but it's 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 just another loss for DC. Also, I think um my one concern with it too is like if Affleck was supposed to helm it and he wants to and like he ends up not getting the creative control or whatever that he needs to actually sign on and do it, like how is that going to affect his performance in that movie? Like, if he doesn't believe in it enough to direct it, and then he has to work with someone else who's going to try to, you know, helm this garbage truck on fire of a movie, I, like, I have to imagine that's going to affect his performance on some level as well. Yeah, it raises red flags. If I'm not mistaken, him and Jeff Johns co-wrote the script, you know? So, like, this has been yeah. his vehicle, and uh, if he's opting not to direct, what does that say to the audience? There is I mean, no script. I didn't they write an outline or something? Weren't they working I, on I th- it? I think you're right. I think they've been working on it together. But yeah, like Sean just said, apparently there's no script. So either either DC wasn't happy. If they did write a script together, either DC wasn't happy with it or that just never happened. But either way, there is no script that they're working from right now. Yeah, there's no approved script or anything. So uh, hopefully we, we receive better news about that sometime in the future. And we probably will, considering this is a movie that's allegedly shooting in the springtime. So we'll see where that goes. Um, moving right along into something a little more hopeful, maybe, is that uh, James Gunn talked to Marvel about a Moon Knight movie. So, yeah, I think I think that's really awesome. So... Uh, he was doing a, a fan Q&A thing on Twitter. Uh, he always gets questions from his fans, and he's very gracious enough to answer them. Uh, he was asked a, about about what movie he might want to make other than Guardians, and he talked about Moon Knight. And so he said, oh, my God, I love Moon Knight, and I have a great idea for a movie. I just wish I had the time. 
but no, he doesn't belong in Guardians. And then another idea, or another fan rather, asked him to pitch the idea to Marvel, to which Gunn replied, I told them, but like I said, I just don't have the time. So that's, I mean, that's really, really cool. Uh, He's also been vocal about wanting to make a Thunderbolts film, so he's got a lot of ideas. And James Gunn, he had probably the biggest sort of rogue success in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far with Guardians. And I gotta figure... If Guardians 2 is, is, is a box office smash, like I'm sure it will be, uh, if he doesn't necessarily want to do Guardians 3, maybe Moon Knight is something he could do, or maybe Thunderbolts. I think there's a lot of room for him to be creative in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've got faith in him right now. So I'm excited to see where this goes you know, into the future. Yeah, man. I mean, um, I, I'm pretty sure I made it pretty well known on this show. Like, I'm a huge fan of James Gunn's work. I think he's a incredibly talented director and like a really creative guy. Um, and just seems like a really down to earth person. Like I, I like him a lot. I think he's a really admirable guy. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I'm down to see him adapt anything in the MCU. Really, like any character that he wants to adapt. Like I gave literally zero fucks about the guardians of the galaxy (laughs) before he made that movie and i i still don't read the comics like i'm not really interested in the guardians at that level but like he made a great film and like made made them a team of characters that i think i you know that are worth caring about um for me personally so if he wants to do a moon knight movie fucking let him i mean i would love to see i don't know if you guys have ever seen his movie super great movie with uh woody harrelson right uh, I don't remember if Woody Harrelson's in. He's not the lead. It's um, what, what, Rain Wilson, yeah, from The Office. Oh, I'm thinking is the lead. Uh, if you haven't seen Super, go watch it. It's fucking phenomenal. Um, it's like basically, it's a, kind of like a kick-ass kind of story, but like more realistic and dark. Um, I would love to see his take on Moon Knight if it had a flavor like Super. You know. Um, so, or any, like, kind of street-level character like that. He wants to make Thunderbolts? What the fuck ever? I'm in. I was thinking of Defender, which is a good movie if you've never seen it. I haven't. Is that another one of his? No, it's just another, uh, kind of thing like that. Okay. But, uh, Um, sorry. No, yeah, that's fine. I was just gonna say, like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to watch any, any movie that he wants to make, and if Marvel, you know, I think to Sean's point... Like, Guardians was a smash. Guardians 2 is going to make money. There's no way it's not. Sequels always make more money, unless they really suck. Um, so, he he should he should probably be able to do whatever he wants after Guardians. Um, Moon Knight is a great IP. I mean, especially recently, with the Warren Ellis book a year ago, and the um, Jeff Lemire one right now is really good, too. Um, uh, any kind of adaptation would be nice. That's something... That I, I think he's a character that would really benefit from a Netflix series, especially. Yeah, I agree there for sure. I definitely think he would be far better served as a Netflix hero. But there are some aspects of his character that would be really hard to do. Because, like, he has that, like, weird, like, like moon spaceship thingy. And, like, you have to, like, cut a lot of the, like, comic booky aspects of him, I think, if you wanted to go for, like, that grounded like street level netflix hero thing but i would be into that actually you could do that though i mean it has i mean a lot of the more recent interpretations have kind of made him less of a batman clone um yeah so which i like so i mean a james gunn version of of moon knight a film presumably would be really cool um slither was a great movie um i'd be all about it 
Uh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> really? Also, he directed that? Both of them. He directed Scooby Doo one and two. Yeah. What? So I had no idea. That's crazy. That was like that was like his first big blockbuster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, dude, James Gunn is the shit. Like, no, like make no fucking bones about that, it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That said, uh, I have one bone to pick, which I think I've picked with you almost every week at this point, Pete, is you refuse to read Guardians of the Galaxy. Just go back and read the Dan Abnett and Annie Lanning book from 2008 and be happy. All right, I will. Fine, Phil. I'll do it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't, like, hate on the Guardians. It's just, like, I've never been super into Cosmic Marvel. Like, I think it's it's awesome that it exists, and, like, I have a friend who's, like, hardcore into it, um, but I've just always been more interested in what's going on on Earth, yeah, you just, know? Yeah, just read the good stuff. Ignore the, <clears throat> the yeah. Bendis stuff and everything after that. So, moving right along, we're going to double dip a little bit into some Spider-Man news. Um, the first piece I want to talk about is that Disney has revealed some of the upgrades that spider-man will have in the upcoming spider-man homecoming film they released a short video on to twitter that kind of goes into some of the stuff he's going to have which is actually pretty cool uh, it's a very short video it's 24 seconds long and it just talks about some of the things he's got like we've seen in the trailer right he's got the web wings um we've also seen that his eyes are more expressive which is really right. cool uh but what what i personally didn't know was that he, he was going to have variable webbing so he doesn't just have the classic web shooter. Web shooter. He's got different kinds of webs he can shoot out. They didn't go into much detail about that. Um, it's also I, uh, laser guided too. Yeah, he's also got laser guided webbing. And a, yeah, that's that's fucking cool. Yeah. So I love the fact that Spider-Man's getting upgrades. They're coming from Tony Stark, so that kind of um, deepens the relationship between those two characters, which, of course, we know Tony's going to be in this film. So it makes a lot of sense that he would help Pete out and give him some upgrades to his right. suit. Um, I will say it's early in the game for him to be getting these kinds of things. Some of the stuff that he is getting he has later on in his career. But I think in, in the modern era, I think it's very cool for Spider-Man to, to sort of start off with a little bit more technology. Yeah, and I, I think that's, like, I don't know, personally, I'm really into this kind of interpretation of, um, and this is the thing that's actually pulled from from Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man uh, before Peter died, which is, like, that kind of idea that, like, Spider-Man gets all the tech and upgrades, like, from the Avengers, yeah. you know? Like, or he gets them from Tony, specifically, in this case. It's like, that makes sense, you yeah. know? It's like, it never really quite made sense how Peter is so fucking broke, but he can afford to continue making the web shooter fluid. He you takes know. pictures for the Daily Bugle, man. Come on. Dude, that pays shit money. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who's worked in journalism, let me tell you, it's not great money. What are you talking Doing about? freelance photography. Jameson um, is a very fair man. Ooh, nope. Try again. Won't, won't give the guy a job. <laughs> very fair man. Freelance. Perfect thing for a kid your age. Yeah, come on. Uh, so, yeah. You know, I, I think that... That was always uh, kind of a suspension of disbelief you had to kind of take as a Spider-Man fan is that Peter is so broke, but he can afford to make the suit and, you know, keep up with the repairs and the supplies. And I, I like the idea of that, like, you know, he kind of has Tony Stark as, like, a, a benefactor and, like, you know, like a, a mentor when he needs one. It's like, that's cool. You know, it's like he's always kind of had some kind of character like that that's been, like, an older superhero that he's, like, you know, palled around with at some capacity. It's like it's not that way in like the OG comics, but you know um, that definitely has been a thing in the Ultimate interpretation. So, eh, 
I, it works. It makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I love the Spider-Man Tony Stark relationship from the Civil War era of the comics. Yeah, and this feels very much like an extension of that. So I'm on board. Yeah, I just really hope they don't ever do the Iron Spider. So like, that's a really cool suit, but. I don't know. I don't like when he has the like legs and stuff. It's just like he doesn't need those. Ooh, I I I disagree. I love it. It's cool as hell yeah. visually. Don't get me wrong, but just like from a combat and like movement perspective, like I don't like the way that it changes uh, the way that Spider-Man moves. I'm uh, yeah, I'm I'm not crazy about the Spider-Man Iron Man thing at all. I'm not a big Iron Man guy. I uh. Not looking forward to seeing a ton of Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Um, so I, I feel like I'm in the minority on this, but we'll see. I mean... I don't think we'll see a lot of him. I think I would be surprised if he's in the movie for more than 10 minutes. I think even that would be a lot. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I kind of I, I kind of want it to be, at least to some extent, feel like its own independent thing. I feel like if you have too much of the Avenger stuff, it, it will kind of uh, diminish... The quality of a standalone Spider-Man film. I agree. So, moving right along, the other piece of Spider-Man news actually is in the animated realm. Because Ultimate Spider-Man is coming to an end. It's Marvel's longest running animated series. And it's going to be wrapping up uh, today, actually, with a two-part one-hour episode that uh, will be airing at 7.30. I mean, for you guys who are listening, this has already happened, of course, but... Um, on January 7th. On January 7th, indeed. Uh, but the news that comes out of this, which is really cool, is that we're getting a new Spider-Man animated series, which is called Marvel's Spider-Man. And they released a very quick teaser for it. It doesn't really tell you anything other than it's coming this summer. So if you're a fan of what they've been doing with Ultimate Spider-Man, I've personally watched very small bits and pieces. Hopefully... Uh, Marvel's Spider-Man will kind of continue this run of really good Spider-Man animated stuff. Oh, dude, I totally, I really hope it's not, actually. I hope it's I hope it's totally different than Ultimate Spider-Man, because I was not a fan. Well, I just mean in terms of quality, because it does seem that people liked it, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it ran for four seasons, I'm pretty sure. Like, kids liked it. Um, I, I'm upset just because, like, I, I was personally a huge fan of Spectacular Spider-Man, right. which was the, the Sony-produced show that predated Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, and there was nothing they could do about that once the, the Disney deal went through, it just, it, the show had to end, um, but to, that show, uh, was definitely the most high-quality Spider-Man adaption for animation that I've ever seen. Like, it didn't maybe, like, look quite as good as this show, but, um story-wise like it was very well written and it covered a lot of like really good like major classic spider-man storylines and beats really well i uh i have a have a train of thought here so follow me on this but the new justice league cartoon is that like a comedy oriented show i don't think it's necessarily comedy oriented but i think it is lighter than the original justice league cartoon so my train of thought is this it seems like every superhero show that's being uh, made now cartoon wise is more lighter and oriented on the comedy yeah. aspect like ultimate spider-man was teen titans go uh, agents of smash right uh and this kind of new justice league show 
uh, it doesn't leave me with a lot of optimism for whatever they decide to do for this new Spider-Man show. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately. I I don't know. I think, uh, well, I mean, as long as it doesn't go the route of Teen Titans Go, I think, I think it'll be okay. What I've seen of this new Justice League, it works really well. Yeah, that said, uh, I haven't seen any of it, so I can't criticize it too harshly. I, I enjoyed Ultimate Spider-Man. I thought a lot of the humor worked for what they were trying to establish. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, I think if they stay along something similar, I think, I think it'll be okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm not exactly pumped about it. Like, you know, tap something different now, please. How many, you know, how many Spider-Man shows do we need? Uh, uh, but as long as, uh, like, I would really like Drake Bell to still be the, the voice of Peter Parker. I agree. I think he did a fine job. I, yeah. I, I like him quite a bit. Um, I, I guess it's just, like, the reality of these cartoons is, like, and they're, you know, this one at least specifically is doing really well, is that, like, that seems to be what's in the zeitgeist right now for children's animation, um, and that seems to be what kids want. So, I mean, like, the, I mean, like, ultimately, like, these shows are not for us. Like, that's okay. I know that. They're for kids. And, like, I don't have a problem with that. I'm glad that there's kids enjoying a Spider-Man show. But I guess part of me is just disappointed because I know that my appreciation of comics, I think I can definitely largely attribute to, like, well-done animation adaptions. You know, like, Bruce Timm's work on the DCU animated stuff. Um, or not, uh, you know what I'm saying. So, I, I'm just upset that we don't have a spider-man show like spectacular spider-man that maybe could be a gateway to like some young readers getting into uh getting a new spider-man book you know yeah yeah because i mean that's how it worked for me yeah i i I agree i i I was a big fan of spectacular and the original spider-man 90s show which pete and i i think we we can't talk about that otherwise we'll probably come to blows but um, <laughs> That's a topic for another day. <laughs> uh, th- yeah, so I would love something in that vein, but I think that the time has passed for those kinds of shows, at least from Marvel and DC, for the time being. Yeah, man. I mean, like, because I think, like, the best example is, like, you look at Young Justice, which is, like, a show that by all accounts is excellent. I know uh, Kale and I have never watched it, but uh, but it struggled for a third season. You know, it's like it, it like it had to get a campaign from a bunch of adults Several. to get a Several. to get another. Yeah, right. Like, and it took forever to come back, and uh, it's gonna be on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's obviously like that kind of show speaks more to people our age than than young viewers, which is the target audience for this stuff. Yeah, we talked so. about this in an early early episode, but the implication seems to be shows that are more uh, teen or adult oriented for like action do not do well shows like the uh cora show on nickelodeon or green lantern or young justice like these apparently don't do well for children it's like they they have great first seasons and they fall off from there when they try to establish continuity and deal with like more adult themes because i guess that's just like lost on kids who like want something a little more episodic Yeah. yeah uh so I want to talk about Thor Ragnarok because Marvel has released their official synopsis. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, Sean, I'm sorry. Can I just interject with my one piece of news because it's animation related? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Cool. Um, so as of this recording, again, on January 7th, so by the time you're listening to this, it's already out. Uh, the first episode of Dragon Ball Z Super's uh, English dub will be out as well. 
Uh, yeah, it should be today. I saw that. Yeah, there was an ad for it earlier on uh, on Facebook. Is, so yeah, is is that any good? I've heard it's not. I've heard it's excellent, actually. Well, I'll be damned. Um, I know, like, uh, friend of the show, Chris Masari, really likes it. Um, one of the guys on my channel, uh, Rob Thompson, huge fan of it. He watches the Japanese version. I see folks um, crap on it on the internet all the time. Yeah, folks crap on everything on That's the internet. That's very true. Very, very so, true. Yeah. From from people I know who are DBZ fans, they say it's really, really top shelf. Like, it, the animation is, like, all, uh, like, movie quality, so it's really, really clean. Um, and that the storylines are really interesting. So that is huge. Yeah, yeah I've, yeah, I've so, been waiting for that. I think Sean Dragon and I will both have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm super excited about that. Cool. Um, so let's let's talk about Thor now. Right, Ragnarok. The this so there's been a lot of kind of mystery about what this movie is actually going to be outside of Thor and Hulk having some sort of team up, but now we we have more information. So I'm just going to read you guys the synopsis here. In Marvel Studios' Thor Ragnarok, Thor is imprisoned on the other side of the universe without his mighty hammer and finds himself in a race against time to get back to Asgard to stop Ragnarok, the destruction of his homeworld, and the end of Asgardian civilization at the hands of an all-powerful new threat, the Ruthless Hela. But first, he must survive a deadly gladiatorial contest that pits him against his former ally and fellow Avenger, the Incredible Hulk. So... They're doing a, a World War Hulk kind of thing, crossing over with Thor, and he's got to get back to Asgard to stop Hela. That sounds exciting, but what that I'm sounds awesome. Yeah, what I'm lost on though is that the last time we saw Thor, he was taking Loki back to, or no, Loki was he was taking a bath in some cave. Right, he was taking a bath in the cave. Loki was Loki was uh, Odin. Odin, right? Yeah. yeah. So, no, guys, the last time we saw him, he was in New York with Doctor Strange drinking. Ooh, True. Yeah, that's a good point. True, which actually... And he had Loki with him. He did? Yeah, because remember, that's the oh, reason yeah. Doctor Strange and him are talking. He's like, hey, like, why like, why did you bring your brother here? Like, it's my job to assess, like, magical threats or whatever, and, like, fuck him. And he's like, oh, well, like, we gotta find our dad. And he's like, so if you found your dad, you would leave? And he's like, okay, let's go. That's See, that's the key, then. Loki, if Loki is Odin, then how does that work? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, like, there's obviously a gap in our knowledge somewhere, because, like, I don't think they would give us that scene if it didn't make sense. Yeah. Like, we talked before about how Marvel plans everything. I don't I don't think there would be, like, a logical leap or gap like that, right. you know? See, I don't, I don't remember Loki being with Thor. I was he's a, not in the he's not in the scene. Right, right. Doc, but I don't, that's why Doctor Strange talks to him. Right. Uh, what I what I recall is that uh, Doc Strange is asking Thor about his brother. I don't remember hearing Doc Strange or Thor refer to Loki as present uh, in in uh, you know Doc Strange's house, uh, but they were going to like investigate him or something. I. I I saw the movie twice. I definitely remember that oh, okay. like, that's, right. that's the motivation for their conversation is that okay. Loki is in New York. So in as a part of the, the synopsis, there's more to it, but uh, it basically says, finally, as teased at the end of his solo film, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange oh. will team with the God of Thunder to deal with Loki. So on some level, what's weird is that he's in the movie at all. That's That's a shock, right? But on some level... They're teaming up to deal with Loki, whatever that means. Cool. But I guess that ties into the end of uh, 
of Doctor Strange itself. So there you go. You know, um, Loki was very popular uh, when the Avengers movie came out and the first Thor movie came out. Um, do you think he still has the same kind of following, or do you think that's died down over time? I think if, if it's um, died down at all, it's only because he hasn't appeared, but as soon as he's on screen, people will go nuts, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the, the other thing that, that I'm interested in, as far as this movie is concerned, is that it's got a huge cast. Uh, so we know about Kate Blanchett playing Hela, right? We know about the usual suspects, right? But we also have uh, J- Jeff Goldblum playing the Grandmaster, cool which is shit. pretty cool, yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Tessa Thompson is playing Valkyrie. Uh, Carl Urban is playing Scourge. So cool. Oh. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of, of, of meat here, right? This is an all-star cast. I'm just yeah. wondering, is this going to feel overstuffed? You know, you always have to think about that with these films. Right, it's possible, but... I mean, I don't know, man. I think, like, Marvel's shown us they know how to manage a big cast, and we do have the benefit of... Um, you know, like, we already are familiar with all the main characters enough. So, like, we don't need setup for Thor or Hulk or Doctor Strange. So it's like, we can kind of probably focus on giving some of these ancillary characters a little bit more development. Uh, I disagree. I think we're going to need quite a bit of uh, setup for the Hulk if they're doing World War Hulk, like, and Planet Hulk. Like, how, last time we saw the Hulk, he was in uh, a, a Quinjet headed who knows where. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. Um, they do have to explain why he's there. But, I don't know. Um, I, I get, that's true. I guess I just mean, like, there's not a lot of work to be done on, like, establishing the main characters. So, like, the amount of ancillary characters doesn't necessarily worry me. Also, not everybody who, like, is cast is necessarily, like, prominent in the film. You know what I mean? I guess. But some of those some of those names are pretty major in Thor's yeah, for world, sure. so I'm not sure how they're gonna how they're gonna make this work. But I do agree with you, Pete, in the sense that you know Marvel has had a solid track record so far of making these larger ensemble films work and not feel overstuffed. So I guess I should be confident, and I'm excited to see what they do. It's like the Thor movies are definitely like uneven, so I'm I'm still not totally sold on yeah. it. Like I have my concerns, but. Uh, that's not necessarily one of them for me is like the size of the cast or the characters that they're using um it's more just like how's how is like who's directing it and how is it going to be how is it going to stack up to the rest of the mcu because the other thor movies just really don't as far as i'm concerned um but i do think the inclusion of hulk and doctor strange is gonna help because i think the big problem for me is that i don't feel like thor is great as like a leading character I definitely think he's a lot better as a member of a team when he has other characters to bounce off of because he's, like, frankly a little bit thin. Um, so, I don't know. I think, like, him having, like, a buddy cop movie with Doctor Strange is something I'm definitely interested in, and him going toe-to-toe with the Hulk should be fun. I mean, it's the same thing we talked about with the Fantastic Four. Is like, I mean, Walt Simonson's Thor run from the 80s is arguably a top-five, like, ongoing book Marvel's ever published. And, like... Ultimately, you know, the Thor movies aren't great. I didn't like either of them. Uh, if you make a good movie, you'll come off as a lot better. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's like, like I really like Chris Hemsworth. I feel like he's super likable. He's great as the character. Like the the ingredients are there. It's just I don't really think they've nailed it yet. So moving along, this is the, the the last bit of news that's going to kind of tie into our major topic. Uh, Marvel has revealed what their next major event will be. It's called Secret Empire. Uh, th- this is a teaser, right? It's a teaser image that they put out a couple days ago, um, but it gives us a lot. So it's it's called Secret Empire, and it's got Captain America's new shield in the middle, dividing the two words. Uh, so it, it's also accompanied the image was by a quote from Abraham Lincoln, which is "A house divided against itself cannot stand." Doesn't that so, sound like Civil War? <laughs> That's it's exactly ex- what I was about to say. This is going to be Civil War Three. These jerks. No, 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 awesome. no, 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 no. It's a, it's a reference to the fallout of Civil War Two and how everybody hates each other right now. The Marvel Universe is fractured, and somehow this is going to tie everything together. I like that they're doing this because this feels natural. So the key piece is that Captain America obviously. Is a as a Hydra agent, but no one knows. And so my thought is that he'll it'll probably be revealed that he's this uh, Hydra agent, and that his his and the Red Skull's plans are going to come to fruition here, and it's going to cause the divided state of the Marvel universe to reunite in order to stop them. I think that's very very cool. Hasn't Marvel been like in universe? I should say been relatively fractured since the original Civil War. No. All right. Uh, <laughs> so they they were able to patch things up after Siege. Oh, okay. And, right. After that, we got the Heroic Age, and that was kind of like, all right, we're done fighting each other now. Uh, and that lasted all of an event. Six months. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So do you guys have thoughts on this? I... It's... Sorry, go ahead. I was just, it's just hard for me to get excited about another Marvel event. Like, I just... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not interested. Some of the imagery they put out during Civil War II was like uh, Miles Morales taking on Cap. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'd be interested to see that and see how that plays out. But I don't know. Yeah, like like Pete, like the whole. Uh, I'm just not a, not that pumped about it. Uh, the whole Captain America as a Hydra agent, like uh, I think we've talked about it before. It's just not there it feels like a gimmick it's just not you know granted i haven't been reading captain america maybe it's great uh but i just i'm not feeling it that's pretty fair Uh, um is this uh is this gonna be done by uh is it nick spencer they haven't announced creative teams yet but that's a solid bet i yeah i would i would have a little more faith in it i think if it was done by him uh just because that seems like his uh you know his his pet project but if not then no forget it hmm i mean yeah that that is kind of interesting if they let spencer take the reins because even any event could be okay with the right author obviously um that said it's interesting that they immediately announced it at the end of another event (laughs) there's no breathing room in terms of information Seriously, man. I, I, it's like, sorry, go ahead. It just feels like a churn. You know, it's like, it's just one thing after another. I, I want to add something to what Kale said, which I thought was a great point. Uh, you brought up sp- uh, 
Miles Morales and Captain America squaring off as one of the teaser images. Well, one of the one of the motivating factors that led to the climax of Civil War Two was a vision that they saw of Miles killing um, Captain America. Now that doesn't actually happen in the comic, but I believe after having read that book and now seeing this, that it was in the distant future that Miles would kill Cap and not in the immediate. So I think that that's something that's going to play in this event. And that's something to look towards. Uh, as far as now, now, granted, we've established already that I am a sucker for Marvel, right? Like last week, I literally said that I haven't enjoyed these events in forever. And here I am excited about another event after one just ended that I hated. So, you know, I'm all in, right? But <laughs> I wish I wish I had your enthusiasm. <laughs> I love the self-awareness, though. You're like, I'm such a mark for Marvel. I really am. I, I, I don't know why, but I am. Uh, I I I want to say that I love that they're doing this, and the reason is because it feels organic. Civil War Two came out of left field, but this is something that's spinning directly out of the events that have been happening and bubbling for a year now, and I love when Marvel does this. This is the kind of storytelling that's been missing. And I you know, you may not like the developments, but at least they're trying to tell a cohesive coherent narrative that takes place over a long period of time right it's like there's like a continuity or something yeah exactly exactly uh but this this kind of dovetails into a larger conversation that we're gonna have because it's been bubbling for some time which is just kind of tackling events in general so each of us has a favorite of course so we're gonna dive into that a little bit and talk about why we seem to feel that events haven't been so good and, and analyze the last 10 years of them. So everybody knows that my favorite is Civil War. I don't really need to talk about it. I've talked about it a million times on this podcast already. Uh, so, Kale, you want to kind of dive into the event, your favorite event? Sure. I think, uh, let's see, I think my favorite event of all time is probably Infinite Crisis. Um, uh, it w- I think it was my first, like, real event. I had read uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, at that point a couple of times, but uh, Infinite Crisis was the first one that I was like buying issues, and I was I was there for, and I was pumped about it, and I was ready to go. Um, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think for me it just like with what they were trying to do at the time, it just sort of made sense. Uh, in in that they would try to bring everything. Uh, let's see, they would try and break everything apart. If I remember correctly, now I can't even. There have been so many crises at this point. I can't even remember. There's only three of them. That's too too many. Crisis of Infinite Crisis. <laughs> crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, and Final Crisis. Um. Uh, yeah, just trying to you know, just trying to sort of rein it all back in to a certain extent. I think you know, after after another thirty years, it made sense. You know, uh, the the first crisis was specifically made for uh, bringing all of the universes back to uh, one you know central thing, and then Infinite Crisis it was another sort of reset um, you know after 
30 years, uh, you know, after 30 years of each one, and then Final Crisis being, you know, not even three years later, uh, I, you know, it, it wore out quick, but um, I thought the action was good, I thought the writing was good, the, the dialogue and the pathos I thought really paid off. Um, yeah, I think, I think Infinite Crisis is my favorite. Well, the, the best thing to come out of Infinite Crisis, honestly, is 52, which came out a week yeah. after the conclusion, and that was an incredible book. Um, Jeff Johns, Graham Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, and Keith Giffen. These are five of the best talented uh, uh, artists of the industry, and it culminated so well. So, so, so well. Um, and that's what I appreciate most but the the event itself is really good too everything with omac um the kind of jli stuff like the assassination of ted cord um yeah max and yeah wonder woman killing maxwell lord yeah yeah the maxwell lord stuff's awesome and of course everything with alexander luthor boy prime it's it's great it's a great event i i just can only echo your opinion i agree i mean i infinite crisis i think is a phenomenal event um I really enjoyed it. It 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 was like the first event that DC put out that I read that I thought was absolutely phenomenal. That really changed my perspective on DC Comics uh, and made me more of a fan, I guess. Because prior to that, I was kind of an ancillary, like, oh, DC's all right. Like, I like Batman, and that's it. And then right. Infinite Crisis changed my view. So, yeah, totally agree. Great, great run. I never read it. I'm with Sean. I'm, I'm still at where Sean was pre-Infinite Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like, yeah, the cool thing was I I had, I had just been, you know, kind of gathering all my material for, you know, leading up to that. And then, like, uh, along, you know, I felt everything along with all the characters. So, it, like, emotionally, it just it worked out very well. And then the effects were, were felt all the way through the universe. You know, I think that's one thing that we do sort of still see but it does tend to kind of go back to status quo really quick yeah i agree with that um so kale we don't want to hold you up we know you gotta take off yeah i got a flight to catch um but thank you for joining us despite the fact that you are headed out and i hope that you have a safe trip all right, boys. I'll see you later. Enjoy playing Pokemon. See you later, Kale. Bye. See you Take care. We will continue on without Kale. Um, Phil, or sorry, Pete, do you want to talk about your favorite event? Yeah, sure. I'll kick it off. I'm interested in Pete's um, opinion because uh, you're very burned out in events and you're yeah. very lukewarm on them. So I'm curious to see where the ones you like come from. Yeah, I think um, my opinion on them is very, it's a very like Pete opinion. Um, because like when I had to think about what my favorite events were, uh, the first few that came to mind for me were all in books that don't exist in extended universes. Um, so immediately came to mind for me was, um, the, uh, Hunters event, um, in Walking Dead was the first ever event that they did, uh, was really tense and like led up to, had like a pretty slow burn leading up to it. And then, like, the actual event itself felt really quick and tight. And um, it's one of the earliest examples in the book of, like, Rick's group having to do something that's, like, really, really unsavory. Um, 
and it has uh, a lot of kind of like similar to what Kale was saying earlier. I guess it it echoes throughout the book for a long time, and it's it's a storyline that like when I think of the major beats of the story, it's definitely one of the the first things that comes to mind for me um, as like a really major turn in the book. Like, but that happens late, so that's that's really cool because after like fifty issues or whatever, because I think that happens like. I think that's in, like, the 60s or something like that. I mean, any comic that runs for 50 issues, you know, is really easy for it to get stale. And um, I think that event definitely injected a lot of life in the book for me at that time. Uh, And beyond that, All Out War, which is the um, conflict with Negan's group, the Saviors, um, was another event that I really liked. Again, really long setup for that one, um, but the actual conflict itself. Uh, Kirkman does a great job during like events and like kind of major things happening in a book where he likes to adopt the uh, 16 panel page style um which makes for a ton a ton of like story happening in books that are already usually exercise um so there's just a lot to enjoy there um if you're you know a fan of the walking dead um, and then uh, another example from Kirkman was the Viltrumite War in Invincible, which is a similar kind of thing where it's just that it, it was a thing that I had been waiting for for a really long time, and the execution of it is perfect. The art's fantastic. Ron Otley's definitely my favorite artist in the business, and um, it's just a, a fantastic event. Uh, from the Marvel camp, um, my favorite event is, without question, uh, Secret Wars. Um I think it has a ton of really iconic moments uh, for the Marvel Universe. You know, like the original see, one? Yeah, yeah, 1980s Secret Wars, um, where where we see, like, you know, Spidey don the black suit for the first time. Um, you know, there's just a lot there where I think that was a time for me when, like, events, you know, were fresh-ish. You know, it's like, not that they hadn't had events before that, but that is an event that I think it's kind of like right at the perfect time for me in the Marvel Universe's history. I really love the like kind of 80s period there because it was kind of where we got that first injection of like more adult themes and, um, and a little bit like more serious or dark tone. And I think... Uh, that whole storyline is just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see like a situation where it's the heavy hitters of the Marvel universe like going somewhere else to deal with like a them problem. You know, it's like I don't know. I, that's like probably my favorite cosmic event, actually, or my awesome. favorite bit of cosmic Marvel. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it counts for sure. Secret Wars was actually the first event I ever read. Uh, it's like the first. One of the first comic books I ever read, actually. Really? Same. Yeah. Same. That's a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think... The, so the reasons why it were made, or why it was made, it has to do with like selling toys. Yeah, that was but the primary reason. In that, they found a way to tell a really cool and fresh story about um, these heroes on this weird planet kind of you know fighting each other and all that good stuff and you know it had it had been done even at that point but it was still sort of new and cool and interesting and like you were saying we did get a lot of you know new twists and turns and stuff that has had relevance throughout you know the years since so um that's a really good pick yeah a lot of and like 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, from my understanding, a lot of contemporaries criticize that book because of his intent. They're like, oh, this is just to sell toys. But, you know, I read it as a kid like Sean, and I ate it up. I yeah. absolutely enjoyed it. I love the conclusion with Captain America. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, man. Did you guys remember the Spider-Man animated series Secret Wars yes. couple episodes? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That was huge for me as a kid. Me too, man. And uh, I don't know, man. I think like when I think about it too, I think a big part of it is like, like they they introduced the Beyonder, which is really cool, and like the team that's present in it. I think it, there's a lot of superheroes I really like that are involved, and I think I, I don't know if it's like a chicken or the egg thing. I don't know if I like these characters because they are in Secret Wars, and I like Secret Wars so much. But like, you know, a lot of my favorite. Avengers are in the book, you know, like, I have, I like the Human Torch and the Thing quite a bit, even though I'm not a huge Fantastic Four guy, you know, like, a lot of, like, pretty much every one of my favorite X-Men, I think, yeah, no, literally every one of them, except Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, Storm's in it, Cyclops, and then, and I don't like Cyclops, but, uh, he's, he's good in that book, but, um, oh, and Magneto, too, um, so, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it's a really good group. I think it's a really good, like, kind of smattering of, like, most of the most important people in the Marvel Universe, to me, anyway, um, are, like, directly involved in the book. And, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of love for that book. I, I would definitely stand by it. It was really good in that book? No Tony Stark. The Iron Man in that book is Rhodes. Yeah. And it's like, I love Rhodey. <laughs> I always thought that was really weird. Yeah, that, that was really difficult for me to wrap my head around as, like, a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, it is really weird, but I mean, like, I don't know, I know I knew who Rhodey was, so I was like, okay, that's fine. I knew who he was from the shows, but I yeah, just didn't... Yeah, from the cartoon, didn't, right? Yeah, the concept of of a hero, like, taking someone's costume and stuff just didn't make any sense to me when I was a little kid. Yeah, I think, like, the reason I gave it a pass, at least in my mind, and, like, granted, I read Secret Wars for the first time when I was a teenager, so wow. um, I read it after I read Civil War, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was because I was, like, I got back in comic books when I was, like, probably 14, um, and Civil War was, like, the first major event that I remember reading, I think. And uh, it was after that I went and, like, found a uh, a torrent that had, like, the entire Marvel major events chronology, and I went and, like, read all the classics and stuff. And I started with Secret Wars because I knew it was uh, where Spider-Man got the symbiote suit for the first time, and I was like, well, I want to read that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and it just it stuck with me. I think I was, like, 17 when I read it for the first time, or 16 maybe, uh, and I loved it. Yeah, I think it, I think it works on a lot of levels. You know, and people yeah. can critique it, that's fine. But... As a as a relic of a of a particular period of time, you couldn't do that today. But as a relic of a particular time, I think it works. You know. Yeah, man. It's personally my favorite um, period in like the Marvel major like event, you know, like timeline. Like not like specifically like Secret Wars, but I mean like that era of comics yeah. is like my favorite time that Marvel was really doing things in like six one six. Anyway, so I think I think it's definitely a soft spot for me in a lot of ways. Phil, what about you? So, um, I had to think about it a little bit. For Marvel, I like the older events um, for the most part. Actually, you know what? 
Uh, I like I like cosmic Marvel events. That's really what it is. Um, Annihilation is probably my second favorite event of all time by Keith Giffen and Lanning and Abnett. Really, that whole like 2004 to 2012 uh, Marvel Cosmic Odyssey is just the, it's like the best thing they've ever done in my opinion. It's absolutely incredible from like for, for a sustained period of time, I should say, for like years on end. From Annihilation to Annihilation Conquest to War of Kings, Realm of Kings to the Thanos Imperative, it's all fucking brilliant. Dude, one of my uh, one of my closest friends would would definitely agree with you. He uh, barks up that tree all the time. It's absolutely incredible, like what they do with uh, Dick Ryder and and Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that's where the Guardians of the Galaxies came from. I mean, they came from the late sixties, but like it was a real obscure idea. Like the the drill, drum something up from nineteen sixty eight that was completely forgotten about. Absolutely incredible. Um, that whole thing is just, it's amazing, and I don't know if it's just because of the talent behind it or the lack of editorial supervision, because not as many people were reading Cosmic Marvel as they were um, mainstream Marvel, obviously. Because at the same time of these events were uh, Dark Reign and Civil War, which no, I don't like any of those books personally. But on the other, like at the same time, the cosmic stuff's fucking bananas. Yeah. And what I was gonna lead to from there is after I read that, I went back and I read the Jim Starlin, um, Infinite Gauntlet and Infinity War stuff, and that stuff's great too, from the early nineties. His his trilogy of of the Infinity storyline with Th- uh, Thanos and Adam Warlock that stuff's also incredible. Um, so for me with Marvel, my favorite events are. Definitely their cosmic stuff from yesteryear, I suppose. And then with DC, um, I really liked Jeff John's entire run on Green Lantern, where he did the Sinestro Corps War, and... <coughs> Sorry, listeners, I'm sick. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, Black as Night was a lot of fun, too. Maybe the ending was a little too much, but I really enjoyed that entire book. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I like the crisis he's... I understand some people are a little fatigued, but I liked Crisis on Infinite Earths in a lot of ways. I look at that book in the same way I look at Secret Wars. It's just a it's a nice relic of its time, and it's very pleasant, fun to read. And there's a lot of stakes to it. When Barry Allen dies and Supergirl dies, like it feels really weighty because the concept of death had not been diminished in comic books yet as it is right. today. Um. And then I love Infinite Infinite Crisis, as Kale talked about, but really my favorite event is Final Crisis. And that's a divisive opinion. And I'm kind of in the boat of like, well, if you don't like it, you didn't get it type of person. But um, honestly, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's maybe, I think it's Grant Morrison's magnum opus. Um, His heavy meta commentary on the nature of comic books and editorial, like, like literally there's these space vampires in that book which are he's basically calling editorial because they're vampires they suck creative ideas out um i think it's absolutely perfect uh i have it as an absolute book sitting on my sitting on my shelf right now and i'm staring at it and it's a it's a it's a masterpiece in my mind so you you've inspired me to go back and reread that i need to do that yeah, I mean, it's something that I think you, it labors a few reads because, like, it's a little, it is a little convoluted, admittedly, but I think it's absolutely perfect. And yet the tie-ins are great, too. Like, I think they really hit a home run there. Um, I know it's a divisive opinion, though. A lot of people don't like Final Crisis, but I think they didn't give it a fair chance. 
so now that we've kind of established what our favorite events are, um, one of the things that's that's clear is that for for you guys, um, I mean, well, Phil, your your stuff for Marvel is kind of like takes place, you know, on the side, right? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Pete, your stuff is like Walking Dead or something that took place like thirty years ago. Um, I'm I'm the only one who's who really mentioned. Well, Phil, you also mentioned. Um, uh, uh, geez, what's it called? Final Crisis. Final but Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we kind of prefer events that took place prior to the 2000s in general. Um, well, no, Civil War is 2009, right? 2005, yeah, well, dude. To, to, really? To, Shit. 2006. I always, I, I always, I always think it's way later than that. Okay, but that's that's me, and like I'm a Marvel guy, right? So like, yeah, it know, is a fa- it is a popular book. I mean, it's also fairly divisive. Like there, are, I mean, I'm not a fan, and there's a lot of people who aren't fans. But at the same breath, there are a lot of people who love Civil War. I enjoyed Civil War. I think, I mean, like I definitely think it gets a lot more flack than it deserves because it was so hyped and like so so many people were so crazy about it at the time. But um, yeah, I mean, like I think it was I think it was solid. I stand by it. In in general, though, what is it that that hasn't worked about comic book events, particularly the big two, over the last ten years? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I mean, Final Crisis is kind of like the ultimate statement on uh, line wide events, in that you know the um, Mandrak character is basically a metaphor for big two editorial and i think that's really a big part of it is like i think a lot of things that come out of events uh, feel kind of rushed uh not well developed um not inspired like there's plenty of great ideas that come out of events but like it it doesn't it's not given the proper breath to breathe in a lot of ways yeah i totally agree with that i feel like most events are created to manufacture anecdotes more than they are to create like stories that are interesting or or well-written or cohesive you know it's more to be like oh do you remember that moment where cat lifted up thor's hammer or like when Iceman turned into a hulk or you know it's just like just it's what is like the what is the shocking or or, you know cyclops killed professor x or the avengers are fighting the x-men like it, it always just feels like a gimmick it feels like a reason to get a headline sell another comic and do something that isn't really ultimately like interesting and then return to the status quo. A gimmick could absolutely be fine. Like, I mean, the Avengers versus X-Men book could have been good. And there's a lot of interesting creative ideas there. Like the Phoenix five is a novel idea. This is again, like in a lot, it's not well executed. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe, maybe that's true too. Like, you know, cause I, I ultimately like, you know, it's not that, um, it's not that like some of these older stories necessarily have like the most novel ideas ever, but they were new, you know? And like, I guess like maybe that is why we give them a pass to Sean's point is like, you know, secret wars was like fresh then, but like doing something like that again, like Avengers versus X-Men, like, I'm sorry, but like, it feels like civil war. Like, I can't think of an event that's about two major camps of superheroes that are are all good guys fighting each other and not think of civil war right now. And, like, yeah, Civil War was, like, ten years ago, but, like, we never forget it. It's always, always, like, getting brought up. We just had a movie about it. Like, do we really need to have 
And granted, Avengers vs. X-Men had happened before the movie, but I just feel like we don't, like, to your point, Phil, we don't let any of these ideas breathe, yeah. so I just feel like I'm getting the same fucking shit crammed down my throat every year. <laughs> I'm, like, I can't remember the last event, Civil War, honestly, is the last event I can think of where the actual premise was in any way novel. Now, even then, like, I didn't think that was novel when it came out, really, because, I mean... <laughs> We talk about event saturation now. Even in 2005, people were saying, like, this is too much. Like, we need to slow down. Um, but, you know, I remember Civil War came out and thinking, like, this is just derivative of Kingdom Come. No, yeah, you're right. That's true. That's true. At least they had, at least they had space between them, though. Sure, sure right? absolutely. And even then, like, one is an Elseworld and one is a mainline uh, thing. Like, I mean, even right. then, the Civil War is still somewhat novel. I think if you look at Civil War, though, it's clear that the the inspiration for that book came from the real world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is, is one of the things that separates it. Yeah. Because... I don't want to lambast it, it for not being unoriginal, because you're right. Yeah. And, and I think because the inspiration felt... was clearly genuine... Uh, that's part of what made it relatable and part of why it stands the test of time, whereas something like Avengers versus X-Men, not only did it come basically out of nowhere, but what's the inspiration for that? Nothing. Just to just do to it. To sell comics. Yeah. To sell comics. I don't... Like, so- yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, this is just the culture and business it is now, right? Like, you need to do events to make books move, but, like, I think about it from, of course, from a wrestling perspective where... <laughs> 30 years ago you had maybe three pay-per-views and everything felt more meaningful but for a lot of fans in that industry now like because there's like 20 pay-per-views a year now a lot of it just feels saturated and un, un, uninspired and it's the same thing in anything i imagine is that less is more for a lot of people i i totally agree you know it's like i don't think we need an event every year and it's like i get it like they move they move books, right? They move books, and and I get that like comics run on like razor thin margins, but I I I don't know, man. I really do think that like it has to be a quality over quantity thing, and like I really do think that like that chicken is coming home to roost for Marvel because like not even a year, I guess what a year and a half ago, Marvel was like straight up trouncing, trouncing DC in sales, and now like those tables have completely turned. And it's because, like, to what we were talking about last week, like, DC's taking more risks. It's like this, you know, Suicide Squad versus Justice League might be a pandering bullshit event, but, like, you know, they're taking risks in other places with, like, some of their side properties or lesser-known properties, and it's working out for them. And, like, Marvel isn't, like, they, they you know, we had, like, Vision, we had books like that this year, but... Even, even those does, aren't, like, the movers for them though like even some of the best books just don't sell like dc's best books in 2015 were prez and omega men in my opinion those were at the very bottom of the sales chart i think it's uh, ultimately you have to appeal to your primary demographic um and i don't think marvel's done that this year no yeah i think they're trying to cast a wide net and hope that they pull new people in and i just don't think that's going to happen i i i feel strongly about this this subject because for me I've been a fan of theirs since, like, 2004, right? That's when I started reading comics, basically. And the way that they the way that they handled their publishing line back then is totally different than it is right now. And there are some reasons why that makes sense, but 
I buy the comic books every single week. I've never not done that since I started. And that's probably never going to change. For a fan like me, though, I'm up on everything that's happening. I know what Spider-Man's doing. I know what Thor's doing. Like, I know all that, right? And, right. And for me, the the continuity and the, the, story, the wider storyline is extremely important because this is a shared universe. If it's not, if you're not going to have these characters relate and there's not going to be some time where they, they come together or clash or whatever it is, then there's no point in my brain of there being a shared universe. Um, and Marvel was really good about doing that, having the, the storylines were okay. The Spider-Man's doing his own thing right now, but then here's civil war, right? And the build up to civil war was like a year and change long. Some people consider it, and I agree, consider it to be as long as, um, uh, house of M and Avengers disassembled, which was like five years before civil war. So that kind of long-form storytelling really, really appeals to somebody like me who reads every single week. It doesn't appeal to people who come in and come out of comics or who only buy one or two books that they care about and don't give a shit about anything else. Those kind of readers, though, are not your bread-and-butter audience. And I feel like Marvel has been trying to appeal to those people over the course of the last few years. And you can look at the events that they've done, and it's clear. The events that they've done have had no backstory. They just kind of happen. And that's because they're trying to bring in people who don't read comics normally to buy these books. Or they only buy like Daredevil or Spider-Man or whatever. And then they've killed off characters with like lots of history, right, that they get pulled from to bring in characters who are brand new. Like Miss Marvel or Riri Williams or X-23 or whoever it is. And that's great. But what about those characters that I care about? Right, and so as a long-term reader of Marvel Comics, I feel very alienated by the way they publish books. Not to mention they publish books like Fool Killer, and um, different books like that. Names I can't even remember right now that are on the publishing line that have nothing to do with anything. And if you look at what Marvel was publishing in, th- like the immediate aftermath of Civil War versus what they're publishing now in the immediate aftermath of Civil War Two, there are hardly any books that have to do with the fallout of Civil War Two, right? Right. It's like after Civil War, we had like a t- like every book felt the effects of Captain America's death and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, and see, I'm with you to a degree because it's like I I think I'd be more interested in events if they happened like every three years. Like if it was a thing that like we did have a year of build up to an event and then the event happened and then the fallout you, afterwards. Three year right. Arc. Exactly, exactly. And, like, if you, you know, go back to the examples that I was making, um, like, the reason that I find each of the uh, the events in, like, Robert Kirkman's books to be so satisfying is because it's something where, like, in the case of Invincible, the plots have been thread for that, or have been laid for that event for <sighs> something like, I don't even know, like, between, like, 50 and 60 issues even, I think. it's It's a lot. Um, whatever it's a lot uh, and same thing with, with um, like the events of the, the conflict with Negan where it's like there's a year of publication where like you're establishing characters and the conflict before the actual conflict so like of course that conflict is satisfying because I've been waiting for it you know and it, it, I don't care about an event that Marvel announces out of nowhere and then it just happens yeah and then it's over you know and so I have a question. 
Do you guys think that the Marvel synergy with the films negatively impact the quality of their events? No. Uh, yeah, I really, I really don't. I don't. I like. I feel like their books have been on the downslope before the movies took over. Okay. With with the exception of Civil War two, I can't personally think of an event that happened as a direct result of the films. Some some people think that the X Men versus Avengers is like a response. Not, it's not like core. You know, necessarily correlated with like what the movies are doing, more so like the behind the scenes aspect of it. I think that's a oh. little bit of a conspiracy theory type. Yeah, thing. you're. It's, yeah, it's like I think that's you're reading into that a little bit. Well, that's that's just an accusation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you personally, I mean, like if you hold that opinion, I I, I feel that. Okay, so I feel like Marvel probably isn't as focused on telling long-form narrative stories because every time there's an event or every time there's a film they want to drag in people from the from the film to to buy the comics and if you walk into the comic book store and you need to read like 30 prior issues or 60 prior issues in order to buy civil war 2 well then you're not going to just you're just not going to buy civil war 2 right um so in a sense, maybe maybe there's some merit to your point, but ultimately, I just feel that Marvel has been trying to appeal to a casual audience, and they've been doing that for a long time, and it just doesn't work. I think we've, that we've, we've, I we've think talked that about ben, this in the past. I think that Benham this year, especially. Yeah, I mean, you can see it. You can see it in the sales. Like it's happening. You know, Marvel is losing. They're losing readers, and they are going other places. Like they're going to DC. This is what happened with DC with the new Fifty Two, and I. I yeah. I lauded the new fifty two for the most part. I mean, like half the books were bad. I think half of them were good. I think it got really bum rap. But the point is, it felt like they were trying to appeal to new and casual readers, and they lost a lot of folks. Yeah, dude. I, I think it like it comes back to the thing that like I personally feel is that like I don't think continuity the way that it's being utilized is helpful to comics at all. Because like we're we're getting the the worst of both worlds. We have a continuity that seems like it really matters and is alienating the fans, but it really doesn't matter anymore because the way that, like, at least Marvel is writing books, when they're constantly putting out new number ones and constantly, like, trying to shake up the status quo while also not really changing anything, it's like, it just feels stagnant. It feels like it's in this place where it's trying to appeal to new readers, but also hold on to the old readers. And it's just not working. And I, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, they should blow up continuity altogether. I think I personally would like that, but I like I also like continuity when it's good. Um, but I do think what maybe they should try to do is have more uh, like just one-off books. You know, like stuff like um, like DC did uh, you know, like American Alien with Max Landis this past year. But like I'm thinking more stuff like Spider-Man Blue or like you know. Um, uh, like something like the Killing Joke or whatever, where it's like you have a self-contained narrative where it's like, oh, if you're a new reader and you want to read a Batman book, this is the one we put out this year, and it's just like a book, you know, and it doesn't have anything to do with the major events or the the um, you know, the storyline that's going on in Batman, the ongoing series. But if you read this one book and you're like, hey, I really like this Batman comic, maybe I should try to get into the regular one then you can go into that with the expectation that you do need to be reading every single issue and following a story. They tried that and no one bought them. Um, it's called Avengers Season 1, X-Men Season 1. Uh, there's a, there's Spider-Man yeah. Season 1. There's a few more. But, but no, like, no one cared. 
to counter that though like i didn't know that those existed and i care about comics and i think that comes back to the conversation we always get into about like the fact that most of these companies do not market their products well well that may, be that as it may the fact is that they made an attempt at what you're saying which is probably the same thing that dc did which is they put out the killing joke right they probably didn't have some great marketing push the difference is that people were were craving something like that at that time and they bought into it whereas now for me a spider-man season one type of thing or or whatever some like ancillary spider-man storyline has nothing to do with the current um tale that they're telling what is the like why should i buy that what's the what's the point well because it's a because it's a well-written spider yeah exactly like um Wonder Woman Earth One just came out this year. Ancillary, completely right. unrelated to the Greg Ruckett book, but it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. And sure, but how all... do you how do you sell that to someone who doesn't necessarily give well, like they don't care? I feel like people I, I mean, are more like, inclined per... to buy a standalone book that is like there's a finite kind of thing than an ongoing for like a I casual fan. Com- completely agree with that, and like to like answer your question sean that's not my job like i'm not a marketer it's not my job to sell dc's books it's like it's not a cop-out answer yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna say like this is what they should do then you know i mean like if you really want to get into it again like i have said it before and it's like you know like how they could do that is like telltale just put out a batman game right that sold really well and they had a thing in it where it's like oh did you did you like this game go read a batman book and like, awesome, that's a good a good step. But instead of it being a link to DC's storefront where you can go and look at all of the huge amount of Batman books that they have and be overwhelmed, what if they had just one book and they were like, hey, this is the book this year that we're pushing. And it's like, yeah, Marvel tried that once, but it's like, again, I read comics and I didn't know that those existed. So obviously they're not pushing them that well. And like, yeah, maybe it's a cop-out answer for me to say that, but it's just like, I don't know, man, like... That they have an incredible, huge marketing machine behind that. So what we're you know, hearing like, is Marvel, don't hire Pete to run your marketing campaign. <laughs> no, I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not. It's not my job. Um, hire me for PR, though. I can spin your terrible news. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, man, I mean, I personally, like, I, there are a lot of avenues to advertise those things. Like, you know, it's like there are Batman video games. There are, you know, it's like if you want to push this Wonder Woman book, like, you know, why isn't that the thing that they're trying to find a way to get the the Times article about or whatever? You know, it's like, I didn't see, you know, any kind of, like, press push for this stuff when it was out. But they will push the controversial event that they're doing. Like, oh, Captain America's a Nazi. There's a headline. The, the reason... Like, yeah. The reason's obvious, though, right? Like, it's because it's it's a headline. No, like, the point that I'm trying to get yeah, at is... Yeah, it's manufactured, though. The, no, like, the point that I'm trying to get at is that no one cares about a random, like, Wonder Woman story that they're going to tell. Whether or not it's good doesn't matter because you have to sell the key idea, right? But, so but if people the, bought on, that wait, Wonder wait, Woman. Wait, 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 wait. If the key idea is that it's a, it's a really good Wonder Woman story, I think that's great. And that's something that we're all craving is a good Wonder Woman story. But... That's not necessarily relevant to Times Magazine. Now, if they said, hey, Wonder Woman's a lesbian, well, that's more relevant. And that's why there was press about her having some type of um, encounter with a woman recently, right? Sure. So sure, sure. 
So that's what happens. You don't know about Marvel's season one line of books, but you definitely know that Captain America is a Nazi, and there's a reason for that that has everything <laughs> to do with what people think is relevant today. And we're in a very clickbaity age, and I think that's more the problem. Marvel can't say, hey, guys, we're going to go to fucking Entertainment Weekly and, and publish this article about these season one books we put together because Entertainment Weekly doesn't care about that. For the casual fan... Or a person who's not a fan and is just looking from the outside, they don't care. Go, they don't care about quality. Uh, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, comics are always being published every day, every week, every month, every year. It's business as usual until a clickbaity headline grabs the attention of people. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but again, the example that you brought up, right, with Wonder Woman, like that book did both of those things. Like it was a standalone thing. It was well-written, and it got attention for having, like, bondage imagery, right? So it's like, I don't see why you can't do that and manufacture a story around a book that's actually accessible and also quality. Well, in my defense, I'm fucking Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah, but so what? So, like, so get people like <laughs> so Grant, Morrison. Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah, so what? Welcome to the show. But that's you know that's what I'm talking about. Like you get people like that that have buzz. Like they're like we've talked about this how many weeks in a row now? Where Marvel's making this big push to bring in names outside of um, you know comics to write books and and those are things that get headlines. There's a million ways you can manufacture a news story around an actually good book that's accessible to new readers. Like I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think they have to be, but I don't think you can also strike lightning in a bottle every time. No, but again, like it also doesn't have to always be like a season one origin thing either, because it's like if you think about it, like Ultimate Spider-Man got a ton of headlines when that was a new thing, because it was like, oh, it's like a soft reboot of Spider-Man, kind of in modern retelling. Like that was new and exciting then. Like you can think of new angles to tell individual stories that will be appealing to a mass audience. I think that's possible. They they did uh, Rage of Ultron by Rick Remender, which... Rage or Age? Rage of Ultron. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it was it was a, a side story, which, it, it I mean, to be fair, it does have relevance to the continuity, but it's, it's removed from it on some level, and it's a graphic novel re- release. No one really talked about it. Uh, they put out something more recently called Infinite Warfare by... I'm blanking on his name, but he's a massive comic book writer. No one really talked about it. I, I, I agree with the spirit of your point, but the actual examples that exist, they just don't they just don't agree with what you're saying. And I think part of that could be that they could do a better job, but I also think that people have very specific tastes nowadays. If you're gonna put out stuff that, that is for a casual audience, you know, you're you're like like you're saying, like if you're going to have something sensational like Wonder Woman being in bondage, right, and that being the big deal, is that something you do every time? Do you always go for some weird, yeah, right. like, something sensational. you know, I think that that could be taking away from the quality of the storytelling. And then you get into the event issue, right? Like we, we said, every event is just has to have something crazy so that people talk about it. Well, if, is that what it takes to sell comics today? And if so, it's really hard for us to sit here and criticize Marvel and DC for doing that if that's why people buy comics. Yeah, it's fair, man. I mean, I guess it's just like I don't think that these books have to only appeal to casual readers, though. You know, I like, agree. I, I, I do think... I do think self-contained books could speak to a mainstream comics audience if they're well done. 
you know? Like, I don't think we as fans have a problem with self-contained stories about no, characters that we already know. Fans, fan, uh, if there's a good self-contained story, fans are going to get behind it. I mean, that's always been the case. Like, um, you know, historically, Dark Knight Returns, or, you know, Batman Year One, or... Uh, Long Halloween. Long Halloween, or even Wonder Woman Earth One. Like, if there's a good standalone story, fan, like fans will always get Red, behind Red that. Sun. Red Sun, like, amazing. That's one of my top All Star Superman. Uh, this is what I'm talking Spider-Man about. Spider Man Blue. You know, it's like Spider Man Blue. Like these are these are some of the like best examples of 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 these characters or, or these standalone stories that are just well done and had good names on them. And I don't think it's impossible to make more books like that. I. Uh, I feel bad yeah. for not mentioning this earlier because, like, it would have been more prudent to mention this earlier. But this is both news oriented and related to the topic that we're talking about. But DC uh, just recently announced the uh, DC Universe versus Watchmen event. Yes, yes, and that kind of falls in line with uh, a gimmick um, and kind of a civil war-y kind of thing and uh also they kind of ties with the suicide squad for the justice league idea like it two two factions of superheroes colliding uh i think if, if we're gonna comment on that uh really quick and then we should we should look to wrap this up but yeah um i think that particular event is probably going to be a lot less like two factions colliding and a lot more like we need to stop um Oh gosh, what's his name? The oh, Doctor Manhattan. Doctor Manhattan. Doctor Manhattan. We need to stop Doctor Manhattan. And um, oh my God, Adrian, Adrian, Ozymandias. Uh, yeah, we need to stop Doctor Manhattan and Ozymandias because they're you know doing what they've been doing. We've we've seen their machinations in the background of of, of DC since Rebirth. So I think that is actually unique and could be really interesting. I do like the slow burn idea there. Because like it's been teased yeah. out, I I like yep. that aspect yep. of it. Yeah, I I agree with I agree with you there. Like I'm glad that that's the approach they're taking, but I just like really like really wish that the Watchmen characters weren't brought back. Well, that I mean a lot like, of people have been very critical, calling it like a cash grab and uh, gimmick. I think it is one stuff like that. Like, yeah, like definitely, man. Like to revive characters that were never intended to be iterated on that exist in a like a singular story it's like you know and like what is like arguably one of the best and most well-known and well-respected comics of all time it's like of, of course it's a cash grab i'm bad alan moore and i would say i was pissed if i didn't expect it years ago that was really bad <laughs> um <laughs> I'm bad Alan Moore, and I worship a snake god. <laughs> I will say, though, that I have I was totally in that camp of, God, come on with this Watchmen stuff, when they did before Watchmen, which oh, was, was terrible. the ultimate cash grab. But actually, I don't think before, my, before Watchmen was terrible at all. There were some really good stories there. And we've talked about... Um, these comic companies putting their best foot forward with this stuff. You look at those creative teams, they put everybody on those books. Like they, they put their yeah. best on those books and there were some high quality stories that came out of before Watchmen. Were they necessary? Absolutely not. But were they good? Yeah. Some of them was trash, but some of it was awesome. I'm also, I'm super biased against them. Like that's the thing where it's like, that's me like on a moral level, not 
liking the idea of the project, and that's always going to get in the way of my ability to enjoy it. So I know I definitely you can't take my opinion without a grain of salt on that one. I mean, Sean is right though. They were they did put a lot of really good talent in it. it had J. Michael Straczynski, Brian Azzarello, Darwin Cook, uh, Len Wein. Yeah. Yeah, uh, wasn't Pac a part of that a little bit? I, I could be, I, I could be wrong. I don't I feel like think so. Okay, I feel like Jay he Lee might have. Yeah, yeah. So look at that. JG I mean, Jones. Really, I'm looking yeah. at a list right now. The the yeah, best. Yeah, no, it's like there was serious talent on those books. They put their money where their mouth was. So like, yeah, you know, I just don't think they should have done that at all. So, and and, and to to we're gonna wrap up right after this. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, False finishes at the ass. <laughs> The thing is, right, I feel like DC at least had the right approach where it's like, look, we're going to do a cash grab, right? They had to because we're in, a, we're in an age where comics just don't sell that well, and they had to do something. And I think if you're going to do anything, bringing back the Watchmen characters makes a lot of sense. But at least they didn't give us some half-baked creative teams with you know newbie writers or whatever. They put hot names on those books. They tried their best to make them good. They weren't all good, but I can say my belief is that DC made an earnest effort to try to make something good out of that. And the the sales speak for themselves. People wanted to see that, and we now are getting more Watchmen stuff in the current DC universe, which if it's if they try as hard as they did with before Watchmen, and if it's implemented as well as it has been so far with what Jeff Johns did in Rebirth, I have every reason to be confident in this, even if I don't necessarily think we need the Watchmen characters to interact with DC on any level. I mean, I'll tell you this, I'll say this, in my head, when I'm picturing an interaction between the mainline DC universe and the Watchmen, um, it would have to be handled very well in the sense that uh, the classic pantheon of Justice League characters are like the epitomized comic book idea, like because in 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 its heart, that's what comics like superhero comic books are is the Justice League. Whereas when Watchmen was published, uh, the idea was a complete deconstruction of the genre. So, if you're gonna have those two collide, like. It, that those two different worlds of like concept, high concept, need to be really underscored and handled with the proper writer. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's the kind of book that they're going to be looking to write. They're looking to write an event book, and like I totally agree with you, man. I th- those those two pantheons of characters exist in worlds that are totally totally inconsistent. And that could be and interesting, but you're yeah. I'm also concerned for the same reason you have expressed. It's Jeff it's Johns. Like, Jeff Johns is a good writer, yeah. and he's not a dummy, but he can write dumb stuff. Yeah, and well, that's the thing, though, right? Is like I, I like Jeff Johns is unquestionably a talent. He's you know like that's not up for debate. But it's just a matter of like to take it back to the Watchmen, the before Watchmen example is like putting good talent on a book doesn't nece- doesn't mean it's going to be good. And, like there's still editorial to think of, and you know it's just like if an if an if an idea is inherently flawed. It doesn't matter how good the writing is, you know? It's like, yeah, there is a way where you could have an interesting juxtaposition between those characters that culminates in a way that's narratively satisfying, but what if he can't think of a framing device to make that work? That's actually really interesting. Uh, This particular concept for an event could culminate in, like, the epitomized worst-case scenario for, like, an event, like, 
almost like this is the this is everything that people hate about events in one event or yeah literally or it could turn out to be uh seminal man i would love to eat my words on that i would love to because that would just be phenomenal it would be great if it comes out and it's actually fantastic but i, under- I don't know yeah, man. i completely understand it's come on you know it's like in the watchman like I mean, Dr. Manhattan is, like, a god, and, like, everyone else is a normal person, basically. And it's, like, in the DC Pantheon, or in the Justice League, you know, specifically, there's, like, what, at least at least four of them that, like, you could argue are, like, on that level? And it's, like, how is that even... I don't know. Like I said, like, I, I don't think it's going to be a straight-up brawl between the two teams. I think it's very much going to be, if you've been following what DC's been doing at all, it's very obviously Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias as these kind of puppet masters pulling strings. And I think that the event is going to be more about learning that, the DC Universe learning that, and then dealing with it. Maybe with help from the other Watchmen. I don't know. Also, it's just like, and again, I I have been reading, so I don't know the explanation, but it's just... it doesn't make sense. Like they exist in the eighties. Like that's where these characters are from. They they're from an alternate, like history version of the eighties where it's like kind of dystopian. It's just like how I don't know how do they how are they in any way in place in the the modern DC universe? Because Doctor Manhattan exists outside of time, and the implication we don't have all the we don't have all the details, but We're missing a the lot implication. Of yeah, the implication, however, has been that he. He's the reason why the DC Universe continuity broke and the New 52 was created. Okay, but like even so, so it's like, so their universe never existed or do they have their memories of their timeline? Well, or what? none of that is uh, answered yet. Yeah, we don't know. Well, that's the thing is like either answer is going to be unsatisfying. Maybe not though. Like I think it's fair. I think it's fair to let the story yeah, play itself out. I and agree. See what happens. Let it breathe. Maybe it could be good. Um, I don't think it should be lambasted on concept. I guess. Like let the story be. I'm story. definitely. I am definitely lambasting the the concept. I'm willing <laughs> to give it a chance, but I'm just saying. Like I, personally, I feel like if they if they are the characters we know from the Watchmen and not some alternate universe version or some rebirth version or whatever, that's terrible. Like those characters, I don't think that they can work in the modern DC universe without like a lot of them having their, like, uh, like Dr. Manhattan can work. Sure. He is totally comfortable in a crazy DC universe level. No, um, I don't think that's fair. I think, I think, I think it's one of those things where it's a wholesale thing. I think it's either the Watchmen don't work in that environment as a collective whole because it's more about concept than it is about powers or individual characters, or uh, a story could be told with them interacting with the TC characters. Maybe so. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I don't know. And I feel like erasing their history in some way is also unsatisfying, so... I don't. I, I don't know if they're going to do that either, though. Like a lot of that is. Very, I don't think they would. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. if you, if you're going to do this, the whole point is that you know they are the characters we know them to be, right? Right. Otherwise, yeah. that would just be silly. But I think to to Phil's point, which I thought was rather brilliant, uh, this this could either be the like greatest event ever, you know, or or one of the one of the major ones, one of the great ones. Or it could, or it could epitomize everything that everybody complains about regarding events. 
Right. Uh, and I think or, it's... Or it could sit somewhere squarely in the middle because it's, like, it's an inherently flawed concept, but, like, goddamn, you know, like, the talent behind it's gonna try. <laughs> like, that happens every once in a while where it's like, ooh! It's like, you can tell they really wanted to make this work, and it just... <laughs> Fell apart. Yeah, like like uh, Jeff Johns has a hammer and there's a square a square peg and a circle and he's just whamming on it. He's just like, please go in. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that's a that's a good way to wrap up this uh, conversation. And you know, I'd love to hear your opinions, listeners, on this subject. Everybody's got a perspective on events if you read comics at all. So I would love to hear some other viewpoints. And, you know, out there, keep an open mind. If, if events aren't for you, read other things. Marvel and DC and, and every other publisher that does these kind of stuff, they've got other books out there that aren't necessarily connected. Phil mentioned Omega Men. That's a great book. Um, Marvel has had The Vision and Miss Marvel. There's a ton of stuff you can read if you don't necessarily care about events or you don't care about the shared continuity, although why you're reading these why you're reading dc or marvel if you don't like that stuff is beyond me but because maybe you like superheroes i i guess there's what i'm trying to get at is there's something for everyone uh so so do yourself a favor give it a shot if you don't normally read comics there's a lot for you out there so if you don't normally read comics i don't know why you're this deep in this episode (laughs) (laughs) because of us because of Uh, us i'm an electrician by trade uh I've been listening to this for three hours, and I'm intrigued by comic books. I don't know what any of this means, though. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please do let us know. Leave us a a rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, You can definitely write to us as well at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can also get to us on the uh, social medias. At like Twitter and Instagram at the Comics Files. Pete, your faces are killing me right now. Sean, you get sound like this. an old man every day. Like you can find us on the social medias. You uh, know why? Because I'm like looking at you, and I know you're judging me. You can send the tweets to us. Why do you think Sean sounds like he's from Indiana? I don't know. Oh, you guys, you guys know the deal. You know where to find us. Check us out and let us know what you think. Let's do plugs. Pete? Cool. Um, I'm going to start off by um, <clears throat> thanking you for joining us here on episode 11 of the Comics Pals. If you guys want some more of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at loud underscore Pete. And uh, I'm always talking about pop culture and art. So if you want to come have a conversation with me or tell me why my opinions are trash, uh, feel free. Uh, if you want some more content from me, you can check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash slack and slash, or visit us at slack and uh, we are a um, you know video game channel. We do let's plays and stuff. Uh, we're gonna be launching a new show next week where we uh, called Saturday Morning Cartoons, where we watch cartoon shows. Um, so come check that out if you're a gamer, or if you like cartoons. Awesome, Phil. Oh wait, sorry. And then I'm gonna plug Kale stuff. Uh, check out Kale's um, publishing company, Panels Publishing. We'll have a link on the screen below, or go check out his book on Comicsology from the Deep, number one. And uh, he's at Toto in Toe on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Phil? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyberic Holiday. I'm going to plug a little indie crossover movie called Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> and uh, our other pal who isn't here is Marco. You can find him at woeismarco underscore I think on Twitter and then just woeismarco on Instagram I might be the other way around whatever he's a nerd he's not here but 
uh yeah that's it for us for us two at least awesome so with that we are the comics pal signing off take care guys